Greetings, true believers. They're the greatest stories ever told. I thought he'd be taller. Can I have my shoe back? At that time, I was a Federal Express man. Are you Tony's stank? Enough said. Excelsior! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and I have assembled way too many people for one podcast, but we're all here anyway. We've got the usual crew, Robbie, over here. You can't see him, but he is here to my... Right? Yeah, he's here to my right. I don't know where he is in relation to your screens, but he's to my right. <laughs> we got the sound lord below me. We got Peaches over here in the bottom right. And then we've got two extra faces for this one. Uh, we've got uh, the lady sound herself, Angela. And we've got the lady law herself, <laughs> Bailey. What? The lady law. Are you lady law? law? <laughs> That's your superhero name. <laughs> I was going to say my superhero name was going to be Super Judge, but then the joke went away because Robbie talked for so long I couldn't, like, interject. Oh. Because he said that he didn't, like, Super Judge people for spelling things wrong, and then I was... Oh, I understand. <laughs> it's been, like, wow, 20 minutes. That was minutes. a long time ago. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Good times. And today, we are talking all about Captain Marvel. Wow. We have gone... So far into this podcast, goodness gracious, we've got two movies left. Oh my we've god, gone higher, further, and faster than we thought. <laughs> yeah. I know. Who knows what's going to happen after all that? But you guys could let us know if you want to see us cover any particular movies, any series, any comic books. Let us know. Send us an email, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter, assemblycast at Twitter. At Twitter, at AssemblyCast <laughs> on Twitter. Just tell we Twitter you want to so talk well, to us. And then you kept talking. <laughs> Twitter and us are like this. Just you know, look for the logo. You'll, you'll you'll know it when you see it. All right, let's get into publication and history and all that fun stuff. Robbie, you're gonna kick us off. Tell us all about Captain Marvel. All right, uh, this is gonna be a doozy, which is weird. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of the film audience didn't necessarily know, I I didn't even necessarily know much about Captain Marvel um, going into the film uh, because the characters' publications, until somewhat recently, were never really that popular. Captain Marvel was not a super important character to um, the Marvel Comics universe. But despite that, Captain Marvel has a weird and fascinating and twisty publication history. So uh, Captain Marvel began in 1967. Um, he was an alien named Marvel, and with a weird name like that, you can bet that he was made by Stan Lee, um, and he was uh, drawn by Gene Cullen. And the original Captain Marvel, Marvel, was a Kree warrior sent to investigate the Earth. Um, he ends up uh, chafing against the supreme intelligence and turns on the Kree. Um, I hate when that happens. <laughs> it sounds so painful. <laughs> Marvel, has Marvel heard of Gold Bond? <laughs> Supreme Intelligence, by the way, is a really weird. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you see. Anyway, Marvel ends up turning on the Kree um, to decide to become a protector of Earth. Um, so this should sound fairly familiar. A lot of this was adapted for the film. Um, Marvel was sent to Earth with a partner named uh, Yon Rog, and Yon Rog decides to stay loyal to the Kree, and so that gives Marvel his 
um, Captain Marvel his art and art nemesis Yanrog. Uh, Captain Marvel has the powers of flight and super strength um, because he's a Kree. Well, I, I don't know where the power of flight comes from, but he has super strength because he's a Kree, um, and he can shoot photon beams from wrist bracelets. And everyone always wants his wrist bracelets. That's his thing, Captain Marvel. People trying to steal his wrist bracelets. Um, in 19, he was not a super popular character, uh, but in 1973, he was revamped by Jim Starlin, um, the uh, creator of Thanos. And that was kind of Captain Marvel's theme for a while. He was basically a hero for Thanos to fight. Um, just like in the film, last week we said that, that Thanos was the main character of his own film. He was the main character of his comics. And uh, Captain Marvel was the one that gave him something to fight. Uh, but he was still not particularly popular. Um, in 1982, uh, Jim Starlin killed him off. Now, we're going to get into in a little bit why that was a problem. Jim Starlin shouldn't have killed off Captain Marvel for really dumb reasons, or hilarious reasons. Um, and so they had to immediately get another Captain Marvel, which they did. Um, so in immediately after, like literally months after, uh, we had Monica Rambo as the new Captain Marvel um, in the same issue. So the Captain Marvel publication continued, just went to a new volume with a new character, and that's Monica Rambo, um, completely uncon unconnected to Marvel. Um, a new origin story, a new power set, just now called Captain Marvel. Um, she had, she's got the ability to like change um, energies. Um, the main th thing uh, that's important about Monica Rambo, um, she was immediately an Avenger. She was a leader of the Avengers for a while. She held the title for a little more than a decade, and also significant, she's in this movie. Um, the little girl in this movie, um, if you know, to make the name connection, is Monica Rambo, uh, one of the um, Captain Marvels. Our third Captain Marvel, after uh, Monica Rambo went on to do other things, she's still around as a hero, just under different names, and this is where it gets real bad, is Gensis Vell, who is literally just Marvel's son. Uh, this was in the 90s, um, and that was the new Captain Marvel, just Marvel's son. I can tell you I read a lot of Marvel comics in the 90s. I have no memory of Gensis Vell. Um, <laughs> so Gensis Vell was boring and unpopular, so they got rid of him and got a new Captain Marvel. So this time, they went with Phyla Vell, which was Captain Marvel's daughter kind of but from an alternate universe and also really by cloning and it gets really weird but she's the new one um she was also not popular uh, she joined the guardians of the galaxy then got killed by thanos um so then we but we still need a captain marvel there always needs to be a captain marvel that's important so the new captain marvel was kenner uh the twist here was <laughs> I, I want everyone to know because you can't you're not reading the notes that is spelled k-h-n apostrophe n R. And I honestly thought it was going to be Kninner. That almost sounds <laughs> that like sounds they better. didn't feel like that almost sounds like they didn't feel like putting something dash Vel again and they're just like, I don't what? care what you name her or him, just name it the next sound that we hear and someone like coughed. Like, that's they important. The keys. <laughs> he just raised they, a good point. The reason the reason Kninner isn't doesn't have a dash is because Kninner isn't a Cree. Kninner um, was a, uh, or oh, I'm sorry. Yes, no, Kaninner was not a creek. Kaninner was a <laughs> scroll who oh. pretended to be the original Captain Marvel during the Civil War story uh, because they wanted to have Captain Marvel in Civil War, but they didn't want to just bring Marvel back because they wanted death to matter in Civil War. So they had a Cree pretend to be him. Um, eventually, uh, he decides uh, during the Skull Secret Invasion, he decides he identifies more with his fake Captain Marvel identity than as a scroll. Um, and helps Norman Osborn fight off the Scroll invasion and dies in combat. But of course, there has to be a Captain Marvel. So, as he lay there dying, a guy named Novar walked by him. 
uh, Novar was basically an unpopular, he'd been around for like since the early 90s, I think, but Novar was basically kid Captain Marvel, wasn't related to Captain Marvel, but he was a teenage Kree warrior with the powers of Captain Marvel. Um, and so he's walking by Kaniner while Kaniner dies. And Kaniner I said, also need, need everyone to know that apparently his superhero name was Marvel Boy. Yes, yes, he was Marvel Boy, correct. Um, he, I need was, to know, is Kaniner the sound he made when he died? Kaniner! <laughs> yeah, Marvel, Marvel Boy, Boy is ten times better than Kaniner's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Novar as Marvel Boy was basically like a, supposed to be like edgy Superboy for the Marvel comics, but without an actual connection to Captain Marvel. Mm. Um, but so he walks by Kaniner while he dies, and Kaniner says, "Hey there, random person! Since you're Cree, you should be the new Captain Marvel." And Novar says, "You betcha ass!" So Novar <laughs> became the new Captain Marvel, and he joined the Avengers. Now, if you know anything about the comics, this was a bad time to join the Avengers. Uh, because this was right after the Secret Invasion, Norman Osborn ran the Avengers, so it was the Dark Avengers, um, and he was the Captain Marvel. Uh, but Novar was not actually a villain. Once he found out he was surrounded by villains, he gave up the Captain Marvel title and left the Dark Avengers. He didn't Did want to be friends with Iron Patriot anymore? So! He chafed with them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, finally, I get to say the name Carol Danvers. Oh. Um, he didn't want Kanuna that nonsense. <laughs> So, <laughs> so Carol Danvers is a really fascinating character. She first showed up in 1968 in Captain Marvel as just a one-off character in one issue. She was just a woman. She uh, met Captain just Marvel. Just a woman. <laughs> My favorite Robbie quote. Just a human. Just a human Everybody quote him. No context. <laughs> She was just a human being uh, who meets Marvell under his human alias, Dr. Walter Lawson. That name is probably important as well, that Marvell's alias was Dr. Walter Lawson. Um, Carol Danvers meet is an um, officer in the U.S. Air Force, um, and she meets, Cap meets Dr. Lawson um, and then ends up getting kidnapped by Yonrog as bait for Captain Marvel. And while she's in, while Captain Marvel's trying to rescue her, a weapon that Yonrog has explodes, and the core of energy of that weapon um, hits Cap Carol Danvers. Um, and Captain Marvel rescues her, takes her to the hospital in critical condition, but she doesn't die. And that's it. That she was just in that story in 1968, just um, in that little uh, bit as just a damsel in distress for Captain Marvel. Then in 1977, Marvel says we need a female-driven comic book, which is a good idea. And then instead of just inventing a new character, they did what I think is hilarious and kind of Wrath of Connie and just said, oh, remember that girl from that one comic almost 10 years ago? Let's just give her superpowers. So they did that. Um, turns out that Carol Danvers, when she got hit by the explosion, she absorbed the energy of the, um, the Kree weapon and being close to Captain Marvel, she took on his powers. So she can fly, she can shoot photon blasts, she has super strength. Um, and they named that character Miss Marvel. Miss um, Marvel was immediately given her own ongoing. Um, she was immediately made a member of the Avengers as Marvel was trying to create a strong female lead. Um, going back to those comics, you can see what they were going for. It is at times kind of cringy, but for the time also a step in the right direction. There's issues where Carol's fighting for um, equal pay in the workforce, that sort of stuff. Um, she's not played perfectly well, but she's also not, you know, just a, a, a weak male gaze heroine either. Um, and so she was pretty popular um, and became a fairly popular Avenger. Um, the peak of her popularity was kind of ruined, though, 
Um, as you can figure, figure out with this timeline, we're in the late 70s. She stuck around for a few years. She was in the Avengers. And as we went over, the original Captain Marvel, Marvel, died in the early 80s. So time-wise, it would have been very perfect for Miss Marvel just to take over as the new Captain Marvel. But Marvel um, shot themselves in the foot on this. Um, Avengers 200 is a very famous issue of Avengers. Um, we are not comfortable discussing it on the show um, because we don't want to spring that on people. Just it was a very poorly handled... Um, issue of Avengers um, the men writing it just did not handle Carol particularly well um, and if you are unaware of it um, look into it at your own risk I would not necessarily advise that because it is not it is it is a uh, potentially triggering story um, where Carol Danvers was not treated particularly well um, and so we don't want to pretend it didn't happen but we did not feel that this is the best uh, place to talk about it um, on this show but the fallout of Avengers 200 um, was that Miss Marvel ended up, uh, when she the the um, story she went through in that issue ended up being retconned when one of her original writers came to Avengers, um, and he had her become very angry at the Avengers. She basically um, deuced out um, and got mad at the Avengers. That's where Carol Danvers very became a character who was very um, identified with her anger. Um, and she ended up leaving the Avengers, becoming an X-Men, and becoming a less popular character. And that's just because she was used less. And that's where we started getting this revolving door of Captain Marvel's over and over again. Um, while Miss Marvel kind of faded into obscurity. She eventually did get end up getting used again more starting in the early 2000s. She started showing up a lot. Um, she was really, really big in the big crossovers in the early 2000s. So in Civil War, she was basically Iron Man's right-hand man and enforcer um, as a pro-registration hero um, in the Civil War. Um, in the House of M storyline where Scarlet Witch changed reality, uh, when she changed reality, Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers finally got to be uh, Captain Marvel in House of M. Um, so that was her first time of getting to be Captain Marvel, um, but that reality didn't stay. Um, by the end of the first decade of the 2000s, Miss Marvel was the um, female face of and the most prominent female hero of Marvel Comics. Um, and becoming one of the most popular characters. So finally in 2012, finally in 2012, after having her powers for decades um, from the original Captain Marvel, after five other people got to be Captain Marvel, in 2012, um, Carol Danvers finally became Captain Marvel with her own ongoing, um, the same old Captain Marvel ongoing that had six other people. Um, she immediately rejoined the Avengers and since has become one of the most prominent Avengers. Um, she was and for all intents and purposes, the main character of Civil War II um, and has become, uh, even before this movie really skyrocketed her popularity, she had become one of the faces of Marvel Comics and one of the most important um, characters in comics. And I think it's very important to point out that that 2012 new issue was written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, who was, and this is so stupid, but was the first woman to write Carol Danvers or Captain Marvel. Um, so that was also significant. Um, so... Um, and it's, it's worth noting that, that a character who yeah. actually came to well became Captain Marvel. We're in a post MCU world at that point. Yes, 2012. It's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Kelly Sue DeConnick was an Air Force brat, um, and so was able to bring that authenticity to the character. And when she began writing Captain Marvel, and these are so the early Captain Marvels, the early runs of um, I guess it would be Volume Six of Captain Marvel when Carol Danvers took over. Um, those are comics that you should absolutely consider reading if you like comics, and especially if you like history uh, or recent comics. Um, if you like this movie, you should go back and read the early Captain Marvels. They're handled very well. Um, DeConnick is a fantastic writer. 
but what she handled is she did this whole arc of as she becomes captain marvel carol danvers looking back over her life and how she got to this point um and it's it's i haven't read every piece of it but it's very well done so carol danvers she is also captain has marvel. a cameo in this movie i don't know if we we're going to talk about does she that, really she does uh, uh carol bumps into her when she gets off the train at the subway station oh interesting i yeah. know the the writers of the the screenwriters of the film were heavily inspired by her yeah um, she has a special thanks credit like right after the cat oh, like wow. i know it's like not even where the normal special thanks go it's like right after the cast list and the credits oh that's fascinating. special thing wait special i only her and and the artist whose name i'm blanking on right now who was the main artist for that uh that run i only remember her bumping into the old woman that she beats up that's that before was she that's gets before she when she gets off the train mm-hmm. she oh my uh, someone give uh, this this redhead walks by and like gives her this weird look and that's kelly sue de Connor. oh wow that's i didn't uh, know that that's so cool yeah um very very important comic book author yeah now so I think she's I, writing aquaman right now oh i didn't yeah. realize that so we've gone through a weird history just a weird history for who was until recently probably a c maybe b list b tier uh marvel superhero um but very fascinating but there's a hilarious reason why they just kept on rebooting this comic was never popular no one cared about these characters but they just kept having to reboot it over and over again because they insisted on having an ongoing publication of captain marvel even if they had to th- keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and try different characters um like oh this time it's his kid but it's a girl um so to go over the hilarious reason that justifies why captain marvel was published the way it was um we're gonna have bailey Make sure that the rest of us don't say wrong, dumb things. Um, So I'm actually going to go over some of the history even more because Captain Marvel, I know Robbie just said that it began in 1967, but technically Captain Marvel began in 1939. Um, It was a different Captain Marvel, though. Um, So Fawcett Comics had a character named Captain Marvel um, that was allegedly pretty similar to Superman. And we're not going to get into like the similarities and differences, um, but national, Com- <laughs> <laughs> national comics publications, which is now DC comics uh, decided that he was too similar. So um, DC sued Fawcett comics in 1941. Um, and this case is actually pretty famous for being one of the longest running legal battles in comic book publication history. Um, it went on for, I believe, 12 years. And the plot twist is that while the lawsuit was going on, um, this original Captain Marvel became super popular. Um, by the 1940s, he was the most popular comic book character. Um, there were lots of Captain Marvel spinoffs, such as Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> It's not relevant to the story at all. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Hoppy the Marvel that Bunny. Very important. <laughs> I had to look um, that up immediately. And it does not disappoint. You should immediately Google Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. All right, here I go. Keep talking, Bailey. So they originally sued in 1941. In 1951, there is an appeal to the Second Circuit. Um, and the judge, who's maybe one of the most famous non uh, Supreme Court judges, Judge Learned Hand, um, <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> oh my gosh, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny is literally just Captain Marvel, but a bunny. <laughs> also Shazam, but a bunny. Well, well she'll get to that. I'll, oh, now, I now I Marta wants to look. Yeah, okay, anyways, so um, the judge... <laughs> oh, Jesus! 
You <laughs> <I> said buff. <laughs> He's so buff. What a little buff bunny. Okay, <laughs> focus. No more bunnies. <laughs> um, so the judge did not find that the character Captain Marvel itself was um, like an infringement, but um, specific stories or feats or superpowers could be infringement. So um, this would have to be determined in retrial. So after 10 years, all the judge said is like, maybe there was an infringement and there would have to be a trial. Um, so the Wikipedia page says that Fawcett decided to settle. I would assume by that point, Fawcett had just run out of money from litigating this for 10 years. Um, so Fawcett settled with DC Comics um, because during the 1950s, comic book sales had decreased and they decided it just wasn't worth their time. Um, they ended up paying DC $400,000 and decided to cease publication of Captain Marvel related comics. Um, Fawcett actually ended up closing forever and later on down the road, DC licensed Captain Marvel and then outright bought it in 1991. So after that went on, uh, Marvel decided to start using uh, Captain Marvel. Um, so we're just going to do a very quick very, very quick um, summary on IP. So a trademark is um, just like a word or symbol that uh, is used as a source indicator. Um, so the US is a use-based system um, and a trademark is different from other types of copyright uh, or other types of IP like copyright and patent. Like you don't have to create anything. You're just appropriating a word. So Marvel didn't have to create the words Captain Marvel to be able to start using it as a comic. Um, so they published their first Captain Marvel comic in 1968. Um, and then to make it more weird, uh, DC acquired the rights to Captain Marvel in Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, not the Marvel <laughs> Captain Marvel, <laughs> um, in 1972. So they had the right, the copyrights to Captain Marvel, but they did not have the trademark to use Captain Marvel as like a title of a comic. So they could use Captain Marvel like inside the comic, but you couldn't use it as a title because then people would see that and associate that with Marvel. Um, and then in 1991, they straight up purchased the rights to Captain Marvel slash Shazam. Um, so Robbie kept alluding to the fact that they kept publishing, Marvel kept publishing Captain Marvel comics, even though they weren't um, very good or popular. Um, the reason is because the U.S. is a use-based system. You have to use your trademark. Um, one of the ways that a trademark can be abandoned is by non-use. So it's not like you have to use it every single day. They probably could have had uh, like time in between their comics. But after three years, it's just presumed that you've abandoned your trademark. Um, and so they just kept using it and putting out these bad comics just to have the trademark it's Captain so Marvel. <laughs> Uh, are you trying to say that Kaminer was a bad name for? <laughs> <laughs> I think Hoppy the Marvel Bunny wouldn't have been bad, but DC owned Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, not Captain, not Marvel and Captain Marvel. Okay, so to summarize, Marvel currently has the trademark to Captain Marvel, but DC has the rights to the original Captain Marvel that DC has now decided to just call Shazam to make it easier for everyone. And that is why there were two Captain Marvel movies that came out at the same time. Did they ever... I, I still haven't seen Shazam. Do they ever call him Captain Marvel in that movie? They do not. No. Do they ever call it, her Captain Marvel in this movie? No, they don't. The first time anyone ever no. called her Captain Marvel was in Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> that I can remember. Very yeah. interesting. 
Thank you, Bailey. That was fascinating. Yeah. Was it though? I thought no, it really was actually boring. No, no, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, because let me tell you, well, and I just... one of the big soapboxes in the Sanchez household is the difference between what a trademark is and what a copyright is, and how no one knows what either of those things are. So I'm glad we were air- able to air out these grievances live on this podcast. All, all I know about copyright is if you write no copyright intended under your YouTube video, you can post whatever you want, and no one can sue you. <laughs> well, and what? And I, and I appreciate you talking about it because the um, the war that's not really a war between DC and Marvel is, you know, one of the more interesting things of, of comic book Uh-oh. culture. And it's funny to me that for decades, part of that war, the in the dark corners of this war, there's just been Marvel continuously publishing bad comics just to keep something away from DC. It's, it's just like, like, like Marvel's holding the head as DC's swinging and trying to punch them and they can't because we, we refreshed our <laughs> trademark. Yeah. Um, but then also like, that's prior to a few years ago. The only thing I knew about Captain Marvel was that. Um, and so I knew we were going to have to talk about it and I was terrified of talking about it. So I'm happy that someone who actually knows what they're talking about did it. I think what's interesting is that, so copyrights, they only last for the life of the author plus 70 years, but a trademark can last forever. So, you know, like a hundred years from now, Marvel will still have, you know, some rights to Captain Marvel and DC will have at that point lost them because the copyright will have expired so marvel wins captain marvel i guess <laughs> <That's it. laughs> thank you so Bailey. production and release i don't remember who we said was going to tackle this in the, it's the christopher chat earlier so whoever is going to do it yeah. say now okay oh, chris, chris you do it, do it. <laughs> chris, scroll back up all right yeah so early in the mcu marvel studios produced a carol danvers miss marvel script uh, Marvel said they wanted to produce a film with a female lead, and Feige suggested that it be that it introduce a new character to the MCU so they could tell an origin story. And he thought Miss, uh, or later Captain Marvel, was the perfect candidate. So finally, in 2014, it began pre-production as Captain Marvel, and and they announced that of all the Captains Marvel, it was going to be Carol Danvers that was going to be the the lead in this one. Thank <laughs> all God. the Captains Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't um, want Kenner. <laughs> you know what somewhere on a message where there's someone going Kenner deserves his due <laughs> I'm just waiting for the MCU Kenner <laughs> or because Kenner is a scroll maybe Carol is Kenner oh. bum, bum, bum. so they had intended for Captain Marvel to show up in the MCU much sooner they had in- they talked about her appearing in Age of Ultron uh, but since that already introduced a lot of characters they decided know to that she deserved a bit more time to be introduced and then it was supposed to be released prior to infinity war but it was pushed back to between the thanos films to accommodate uh spider-man homecoming since uh when marvel and sony uh made nice they had to actually push back quite a few movies to slot spider-man into one of those spots um, I think it took the original Black Panther spot and everything else moved back like one, one that space right. in their release schedule. Uh, and then it was pushed back again for Ant-Man and the Wasp to uh, be the the Infinity War follow-up. Brie Larson was tapped to play Carol Danvers in 2016. Filming didn't begin until 2018. Nicole Parlman, the co-writer of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, first script, uh, and Meg... I'm going to mess up. Meg LaFauve... Actual women, not fake women, is what it says in the uh, in the <laughs> notes. I don't know what that means. 
I think Robbie wrote actual women and, <laughs> and Eduardo Robbie. added not they're not fake women and then someone's writing or binders of women. <laughs> Shout out to the 2012 campaign. <laughs> oh uh, yes, my favorite election controversy. <laughs> when Mitt Romney said he had binders full of women. <laughs> who doesn't remember those halcyon days? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Nicole Perlman and Meg LaFove were uh, tasked with writing the script. And Kevin Feige has an anecdote about how the two were going through source material and they could recognize the exact moment when a woman actually started writing Captain Marvel, that being, of course, Kelly Sue DeConnick. After a series of directorial changes, I heard that, Teddy, uh, uh, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck were ultimately given the directing job. They were co-directors. The movie was released in in February of 2019. It had the sixth biggest international opening weekend of all time. It grossed $1.1 billion, becoming the highest grossing female-led superhero movie out of, you know, six. Uh, <laughs> reviews were positive. Not not overwhelmingly positive. Uh, it has a 64 on Metacritic, uh, but, they were, but they were positive, uh, you know. This movie was also attacked by alt-right trolls, like... Like so many other things, uh, these days. Uh, so that's this is where it gets interesting. That's a good Rotten word for Tomatoes. It. Here we go. So if you're familiar with Rotten Tomatoes website, where it it aggregates a bunch of review scores and gives it a percentage and tells you if the movie is fresh or rotten. And there is also a function for uh, viewers for for users to to upload their own reviews and scores. So you get a critic score and an audience score. The want to see function on Rotten Tomatoes was suddenly bombed with traffic and it drove the audience score down to 30% before the movie actually came out. Much of this, much of the comments were complaining about Brie Larson uh, for being a feminist and implying that Marvel and Disney and whoever were pushing an sjw agenda oh boy uh, yeah oh boy um specifically uh, uh a lot of them called out comments that brie larson made in an acceptance speech at the women in film crystal and lucy awards uh where she said uh where while saying uh, i'm gonna pull up the exact quote because i don't want to misquote it because this is what a lot of people got mad at her for um because they took it all out of context uh she dedicated her her acceptance speech uh, to breaking down the findings of a study that about film criticism and how film criticism should be more reflective of the wider film audience. And she said, quote, first of all, am I saying that I hate white dudes? No, I'm not. What I am saying is if you make a movie that is a love letter to a woman of color, there is an insanely low chance that a woman of color will have a chance to see your movie and revere your movie. A lot of critics, published critics right now, white dudes. Just how it is. And she says, it really sucks that reviews matter, but reviews matter. We're expanding to make films that reflect the people who buy movie tickets. Dot, dot, dot. I don't know what code is in there for full uh, disclosure. I'm just reading from Vanity Fair. Um, I Thank you for the pop-up ad asking me to sign up for your newsletter, Vanity Fair, while I'm in the middle of reading something on a podcast. How do- no, thanks. No, thanks. I was looking for an X. <laughs> I thought that was part of the quote. Sorry, yeah. you, you bamboozled me. Everything I just accepted it. <laughs> well, I agree with her about that. Um, 
And then she said, I do not need a 40-year-old white dude to tell me what didn't work for him about A Wrinkle in Time. It wasn't made for him. So a lot of people took that as, she doesn't want white people to see her, she doesn't want white men to see her movie, then we won't go see her movie. And they all talked about how it was going to be a big flop. And then it had the sixth highest, gro- uh, sixth highest grossing opening of all time and made over a billion dollars. And uh, clearly all those tickets were bought by Disney and all the good reviews were bought by Disney. No, I forgot about that. I forgot there were people actually saying that, that Disney yep. was buying tickets to drive up the, the box office. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. People are... <laughs> I, I know I know. we were talking about this earlier in an unrelated context, but there are a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there that just seem to be becoming more and more prevalent lately. Do um, these people also believe that birds are not real? This is the second time I've brought this up. <laughs> I've never seen a bird. How about you? <laughs> just be a really big bumblebee. Right. Or a drone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was a... Uh, so after release, the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes also saw unusually high traffic, more in the first week than the entire run of Infinity War, driving the audience score to just over 30%. Rotten Tomatoes also disabled the comments section due to, quote, unconstructive commentary. So, yeah, uh, review bombing. It's a thing. Uh, same thing happened to Last Jedi. Uh, yeah, I remember people complaining about this movie. Not not people who I'm defending. I remember yeah. <laughs> people complaining about this movie. I didn't remember that it got straight up Last Jedi'd. Yeah. Um, it yeah, did before, and before people even saw it uh, I've seen that uh, happen to restaurants uh, or bars yes. specifically <laughs> <laughs> there are certain corners of social media that also complain that Brie Larson wasn't smiling on any of the posters uh, oh so... my god <laughs> wait did I, you, I Bailey did you miss out that. on that there was this whole uh, I guess camp- so there was this whole campaign of Brie Larson should smile more I'm calling the cops. <laughs> Wait, let Chris, let Chris keep going because what happened as a result was kind of hilarious. Yes, yes, I had forgotten about this, but she ended up posting on her Instagram a bunch of photoshopped posters. I'm sorry, Adobe. Um, <laughs> I uh, of, of edited posters of Marvel, other MCU posters, where the male superheroes that were frowning or looked serious in their posters were now smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got like Winter Soldier with Captain America doing it. <laughs> <laughs> great for it was you great. listeners you it know exactly great. what i'm talking about and that was love when it. i fell in love with brie larson that those edited posters when i realized that she's my favorite yeah so that was uh so that was a whole fun thing and i don't know if the whole scene about the guy telling her to smile was added in reshoots or if that was our, our, always in the script i'm sure there's a story about it out there somewhere but it seemed very appropriate uh it's the best one what happened mm-hmm I just and put the point. best one that she that she doctored in the Discord chat for you all to look at. You should listeners look up look up Captain America the Winter Soldier, uh, Brie Larson smiling edit. <laughs> that'll 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 get <laughs> It's wonderful. And the last point in the notes that Robert wrote was the film made over a billion dollars anyway. Ha. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good movie as as we will uh, we will discuss. <clears throat> or is it? We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Whether it was or not, it made a like a buttload of money, so who cares? Hey, Eduardo's still there's, here. There's a sequel coming. <laughs> she was in Endgame. It's all good. So our movie opens with our heroine Veers having a nightmare of an aircraft crash where she watches a woman she doesn't know get killed by a shadowy figure. Ooh. Veers awakens from the nightmare on the Cree home planet. 
Holla! And goes to see her friend, Jan Frog. During a sparring match, we learn... Jan Frog. Jan Frog. I, I heard Jan Frog. Jan Frog. Behold, Captain Jan Marvel Frog. the Frog. Uh, Veers is a human taken in by the alien Kree and trained by Jan Rog. She has the nightmare frequently and recognizes it as the earliest memory of her powers, uh, but nothing more. I'm going to right implant- now and ask mostly probably Robbie. Did anyone else go into this assuming that Jude Law was playing Marvel? Yes. Yeah. And not only that, but um, as I was doing research, there were uh, stories saying that, just basically saying, "Oh, he's obviously Marvel." Yeah. Yes. Can he I, can I, can I actually didn't think they were. Yeah. Um. I just want to say real quick the intro Marvel fanfare. Um, oh God! Yeah. Since we were we've already gotten into the movie, but I have to talk about that real quick. We were sitting in the theater, obviously waiting for the movie to start. Movie starts, Marvel fanfare, and it's entirely made up of Stanley cameos, and I just started weeping. And I don't normally cry in movies. I and I was not having like a rough day, or I wasn't feeling particularly fragile that day or anything like that and i just kind of lost it sitting yeah. there watching this marvel and i was it was complete completely took me by surprise was not expecting it yeah. was not expecting to feel that emotional as much as i love stanley i don't know how you guys reacted but yeah because this was the first I... mcu film after stanley passed away and and i remember even like when it starts off instead of quotes from like because when they show this quotes it's like the screenplays, so you see, like I'm, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Well, in this I, I noticed and didn't really register that the first quote you see is actually with great power, there must also be great responsibility. And then it's all the Stanley pictures, and and it ends with, "Thank you, Stan." And I was also crying. Yes. Yeah, I actually remember you and Lady Sounds saw it right before I did, and you posted something about. I think it was Angela posted, but or maybe even both of you about I didn't expect to cry 10 seconds into Captain Marvel. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, there's no way. There's no way the movie has something that's going to make me cry 10 seconds in. And then I, then I, 10 seconds in the movie, I got what you were talking about. Yeah. One yeah, second into the movie, I got what you were talking about. I remember, because I remember my post was something along the lines of, Captain Marvel now holds the record for the fastest movie has ever made me cry. And the comments were all, what about up? What about up? What about up? And then after it was, I no, remember I understand that, now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We're done. Bailey, did you cry? Probably. I don't remember. <laughs> Rip in <and> peace. <laughs> did you cry? No. Did you ask me because I'm a girl and girls cry? No, I you asked didn't you. Ask- I asked you because you're you and you cry. <laughs> Why did we Z word? Come on. I don't know. Damn, Z word. I don't know. Classic. Get rid of the Z word. I'll try to remember. <laughs> no, you don't have to. It was that was an Arrested Development reference. <laughs> the, uh... Is it because you're trying to trademark peaches, so you need to make sure people? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to trademark it. I'm trying to copyright it. I'm trying to all of the things that will make it law abiding. <laughs> Put a law word in front of it. That's what I'm trying to do. So the Cree implanted a device on the back of uh, Veers' neck, which gives her the ability to shoot photon energy from her hands, though Jan Rog encourages her not to use her power, saying that's weakness. 
Yanrog decides Veers is ready to join his military team, but she must first meet the, with the Supreme Intelligence, an AI that rules over the Kree Empire. Wow, I had forgotten how weird the first part of this movie is. And when I say weird, I mean like it just... Marvel is a lot of the times, especially the beginning, are grounded in a sense of sort of reality or mythology. And this is just straight up sci-fi. Like it is just sci-fi. Yep. Even in the beginning of Guardians, you have Peter Quill, who is essentially one of us transplanted into a sci-fi universe. But this is just all sci-fi. And then she like hooks up to like a supercomputer and like talks to them. And it's like weird and robotic and kind of weird and... I already said weird, but I'm going to say it again. And I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> well said. That's weird. <laughs> we erred. Uh, <laughs> W-E dash. <laughs> U-R-D. <laughs> the Supreme Intelligence appears differently, and to all who see it, appearing as a mysterious woman from the nightmare to Veers. The Supreme Intelligence tells Veers not to worry about her past and that she still has much to learn, but allows her to join Yon Rog's team on their next mission. Also, another quick interjection. When I was watching the beginning of this movie, I was like, this is strangely similar to Green Lantern. This so, is... Oh. oh, they had to rewrite the script because the original draft was too similar to Green Lantern. That's an actual thing. I didn't think it was important to put that in the notes, but that's a thing. Well, I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned it now because that's how I feel. I watched this and I was like, this is weirdly like Green Lantern and Jude Law is basically Sinestro. And this is all like super huh. weirdly coincidental. Huh. Oh, and I forgot Dark Phoenix had to rewrite their ending because it was too similar to Captain Marvel. What? It was going to have scrolls <laughs> and stuff. Interesting. Yeah interesting yeah i got i watched this and i was like yeah this is weirdly a lot like green lantern and like specifically i was thinking the sinestro how jordan relationship yeah mm, um, that makes sense yeah so she reminds viewers the, that. <laughs> <laughs> she reminds viewers the power she was given the device on her neck can be taken away Throughout the start of the film, the dialogue of the characters and world details establishes the Kree are in a long-running war with the alien scrolls, who the Kree see as ruthless killers and who are able to change form to appear as anyone they wish. Veers heads out with Yanrog's team to help extract Ooh, excuse me. A compromised Kree spy. <laughs> Sorry, he had a, a canner in his throat. Let me, let me try that one. Run frog in his throat. Let me retry that one. Dang it, I missed it. Thanks for the alley oop, but I missed it. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Veers heads out with Yon Rock's team to help extract a compromised Kree spy, Solar, from the planet Torfa. <laughs> the team has four other members. Korath, the Pursuer, later seen as Ronin's right-hand Kree in Guardians of the Galaxy. Bronchar, a Kree-fitting routine strongman role. Bruncher? Min... <laughs> we are all Min Erva, a Kree female. And Atlas, a Kree male. Atlas. Now, Min Erva is played by Gemma Chan, who will be playing a different role in the Eternals. Oh, Interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. 
All four names come from en- enemies of different Captain Marvels from the pages. Yanrog warns the Skrull General Talos is in the region looking for Solar and for his team to be careful but prepared to die for the cause. The Kree finds Solar in a cave surrounded by native Torfins. Ver- Veers slips past the Torfins and locates Solar. God, these names are going to kill I'm me. sorry, I'm finding the word Torfins so funny right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost out of the woods. You're almost out of the woods, Eduardo. Oh my God. The beginning of this movie. When the Torfins become aggressive, they are revealed to be scrolls. While the rest of the team fights off the ambush, Solar incapacitates Veers and reveals himself to be General Talos in disguise. I imagine this you movie writing a billion dollars. I imagine you writing these notes and being like, "How can I word this in a way that's going to trip Eduardo up as much as possible?" And I imagine it doesn't take that much work. <laughs> You're doing fine. You're doing fine. I think you pronounced all of those more accurately than Helia. <laughs> We've already talked about Helia, and I stand by it. Uh, though there are a few others that I've gotten wrong pretty bad. Um, like the planet. What is the planet called? That um, Ego. Oh, Nidavellir. to be fair most of these names are two syllables and they're separated by hyphens so you've got a pretty fair shot they're basically spelled out for me like the syllables are right there i just have to read them at last (laughs) at last In Rapture, the skull the scrolls begin probing. Did you say Veers. Rapture? Rapture. <laughs> because we're talking about Atlas. Atlas. <laughs> we got Atlas, Rapture. Would you kindly grab a crowbar or something? <laughs> crowbar. In <laughs> That's why there was a lighthouse. There's, a... There's always a lighthouse, a marvel. <laughs> this podcast has gone off the rails again. <laughs> <laughs> in capture, the scrolls begin probing Veer's memories. We are shown a disjointed montage of Veer's becoming uh, uh, being a member of the U.S. Air Force, another woman who was clearly an important friend to her, as well as her proclivity at all ages for pushing her own limits regardless of danger. Those I are love Robbie's the words. Scroll commentary in this scene, by the way. Yes. Like, no, go back. No, make a look down now. And like, what? Are we looking at the right person? Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 very funny. It's it's like this weird, like, comedy detour, but like a very strange one. Um, and the little girl from uh, The Haunting of Hill House is uh, young Carol. So that's neat, too. The, the scrolls find what they're... The scrolls find what they're looking for. Veers' memories of the mysterious woman from her dreams, the woman is identified as Dr. Wendy Lawson of the U.S. Air Force. The shadowy figure that shot Lawson is shown to have been a Cree. The final memory shows Veers flying and crashing a spaceship while the oh, scrolls try to... Scroll. I wrote that down. Shown to be a Sorry. scroll. Shown to be a scroll. Yeah. My bad. The final <laughs> memory shows Veers flying and crashing a spaceship what? while the scrolls <laughs> uh, try to determine the coordinates. Talos expresses the need to find a light speed engine. Veers awakens on a scroll warship with her arms bound, preventing her from shooting photon blasts, but has the strength to break out of her restraints and beat her captors. When confronting Talos, Veers claims what she, uh, what she experienced were not her own memories, and she doesn't know who Lawson is. Veers fights her way off the ship, taking an escape pod which crashes on the nearest planet. 
Larson falls out of the escape pod and into a Southern California blockbuster video store on Earth, year 1995. (laughs) She blasts the head off of Arnold Schwarzenegger from a True Lies cardboard cutout. (laughs) So, nostalgia hit number one. Uh, Do the listeners know what a blockbuster is? I hope so. For those of you who are too young to remember... I wrote in my notes that crashing into Blockbuster is incredible shorthand for this is set in the 90s. Uh. So I understand why this movie is set in the 90s time-wise, but did it need to be set in the 90s? So, and, and I know you've got a rant on this, but my interpretation was um, the movie was set in the 90s because that's where they needed it to be in the timeline, and they did what they could to make it convincingly be the 90s less than saying this is a 90s movie and like it wasn't set in the 90s to take advantage of the 90s it was in the 90s because that's where the timeline needed to be and they actually did the work to make it look like the 90s that at least was my interpretation but yeah did anyone else feel though they were really trying to hit you over the head with this is in the 90s this is See, that's 90s that's my point. exact yes. that's my yeah. exact point my exact point is that they were like oh you want this to be the 90s well, we're gonna put you in a blockbuster and then there's gonna be a radio shack and let's let's see how many 90s songs we can cram here which by the way are fantastic the soundtrack mm-hmm. is amazing yeah so what uh, are you I, I lost my mind when come as you are <laughs> right uh-huh. um which the soundtrack is very good but either way they just kept like angela said just kept slapping you in the face with with how 90s this movie was. And I felt like they used it more of like a, they're trying to dose out nostalgia hits to keep you going throughout the, the, the plot of the movie. Whereas I don't think, I just don't think that it, it served the movie in any purpose for it to be in the 90s. Well, like, like it could have been more yeah. subtle. And like right, other yeah. Marvel movies have been set in other like times and they just like put the year in the right. set. That's kind of that. Right. Like, it's like if they were, like, did a Marvel movie in the 70s and everybody was talking, like, hip jive, man, and doing disco. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> is that is that not the 70s? Did they not say hip jive in the 70s? I don't think anyone's ever said hip jive. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe nobody that you know. Hip dash jive. I, I said, this is the first time I think I've been old enough for a movie to actually pander to me in that specific way that period movies do. And right. I didn't mind being pandered to in that way because it was actually kind of fun. Like, oh, hey, yeah, 90s. And I remember like one of the first images they released was of Brie Larson in a Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. I was like, oh, wow, they're really they're really playing up this 90s thing. I it think... never bothered me. Um, but like, I wonder, like, is this how people who grew up in the 50s felt when they went to see Back to the Future for the first time? Yeah, that's... I'm with Chris. Like, I felt like this was the first time I ever felt like, oh, this movie's about, like, the world I grew up in. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but, like, it doesn't enhance anything, I think is my point. Like, take for a series where it does enhance it. Stranger Things is a perfect example where the time period enhances the story. It enhances everything that is happening there, where, where whether it be the music or the setting or all of the different characters and how they interact. I think the time period enhances that story, where this, it's like... This is the story of Captain Marvel, but also we're in the 90s. Cool. Yeah, I think it enhanced yeah. it for a few scenes and then got basically forgotten. Yeah, I don't feel like it beat me over the head with it, yeah. like except for falling into Blockbuster. But I guess one thing that you can think of, I don't think it needs to be set in the 90s, but part of um, part of the story right after that she lands in the Blockbuster is that she needs to try to communicate with her team and the only thing she can use is a payphone. So it would be kind of weird if 
it was any further in the future and I don't know, would she have had to like ask a stranger for their cell phone? Because pay phones don't exist nearly as often. Like you don't see them nearly as often now. I don't know. I don't think it needed to be 90s, but it didn't hurt my feelings. What is the science of her using a pay phone? I don't know. Something that she just happens to have in her pocket into it. (laughs) I just don't understand why a pay phone specifically would get her. Like, what is it about a payphone like that? That another piece of electronic type thing couldn't have done, right? If it's good enough for Hank Pym, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, for me, it's. I mean, there is definitely a lot of '90s set dressing, especially in the beginning. But then it gets into the movie, and and like Robbie was saying, it had with the story that they ended up telling, with it being you know, 1990s shield with young Nick Fury and young Colson and having it be how Fury got into all of the, the weirdness of shield and how the Tesseract ended up with Nick Fury and all of that. It, it did have to be set somewhere before Iron Man and the nineties was a, uh, it, by making it a Nick Fury kind of origin story too. the nineties ended up being the best spot for it. And, and they hit you with a lot of 90s stuff at the very beginning without ever putting like a 1996 or whatever uh, title up because the movie starts out in space. And they're not going to be like, Holla, 1995. <laughs> because that, that would make sense. So having her crash into a blockbuster, it's like, okay, this is Earth, and this is Earth when video stores were a thing. So, so yeah, they, they get you. And then, like, pretty much from then on, it's music cues that are really the only things from the 90s and as you said it's good music so it is very good music yeah is music anybody's point because i want to have a second point where i talk about how good the music is no no but i did write in the notes about um i'm just a girl and come as you are so i i did too those will be good <laughs> so... notes. <laughs> you didn't write about waterfalls oh that oh, was, that was funny too. too yeah that was the first thing that came to mind well, and and i think that dovetails with the point you're making right now, the way they use 90s um, needle drops. I felt like it was used a little too much, mostly because I don't, I don't like, except in Guardians when it has a specific purpose, I don't love needle drops in these movies. And I felt like they did a few too many in this because, and that's where I think I agree with you, where I feel like this movie's beating them over the head with, this is the 90s, is the way they use the music. Granted, good music. um, But I thought the waterfalls where they were driving was still funny. I think it was just kind of their attempt at like a genre film almost. Otherwise it would have just been like a regular old origin story. And at this point in the MCU, I feel like people expect something a little different. So they went a little hard with the nineties, but like we've said, the songs are really good. So you can't complain that much that it was maybe overused. Fair. Also, one thing I did like a lot was, and this comes later in the movie, but when they're trying to load the black box recording on the computer and it's a CD-ROM. Yes. And they don't hit you over the head with the fact that it's taking forever, except for a tail is going, what, what are you, what's going on? And I'm saying it's loading. But I remember laughing my butt off in the theater about that. It was like, yes, because it's like, I remember that. Well, and and wondering, just, what do the kids think? <laughs> like, are kids way, even understanding this? It's the way Fury just delivers it. Is it it's loading. Like, what the hell do you think is going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> So Talos and his subordinates land on Earth and take the forms of humans to hunt for Veers. Using a Nintendo Game Boy and parts from Radio Shack, Veers rigs a payphone to contact <laughs> Yon Rog. Yon Rog and his crew head to Earth to rescue her. 
A security guard who witnessed Veers crash into the roof calls the authorities, and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson and his superior, Nicholas something Fury. What is it, Nicholas? J. Joe. Joseph. Joseph, I think. Nicholas Joseph Fury arrives and confronts Veers. Veers warns them about the scrolls to Fury's amusement. While Fury attempts to arrest Veers, a scroll then attempts to snipe him. Veers chases the scroll to a train pursued by Fury and Coulson and finds the scroll disguised as an old woman. Veers punches the old woman in the face to the horror of those on the train. Uh, well, oh, this scene also has the Stan Lee cameo, which I do need to bring up because it raises a lot of questions. It is Stan Lee sitting on the train reading the script for Mallrats, practicing the lines for the cameo he actually had in the movie Mallrats, which raises the question of who is Stan Lee in the MCU and why is he important enough to have a cameo in Mallrats? I because he has that as... cameo in Mallrats because he wrote all the Marvel comics. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you broke I think it. you've That's just the... broken a hole in the Everything you just continuum. said is the dot above the eye in Jeremy Barramy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Get your no never... prize. Where's your no prize? <laughs> uh, while Veers and the scroll fight on the train, Coulson calls Fury on the radio, revealing that he is one of the scrolls Veers mentioned. The car crashes in the ensuing struggle. Fury okay, I'm scroll... going to rephrase that because that sounds really confusing because it sounds like you all of a sudden, hey boss, I'm a scroll. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fury's think... in the car with Coulson. And then I'm Coulson take... calls him and says, That's hey, you left. <laughs> I'm going to take the assumption that everybody who's listening has already watched the movie. That's a good if, point. If you, if you haven't, then I'm sorry for confusing you, but I'm going to assume you know what I'm talking about here when they find out that Coulson, the here's, one that's with Fury, is a scroll. Here's another search I'd like to embark on. How many people have actually not watched anything in the MCU and have learned everything about the movies from this podcast? Probably only our relatives. Ah, fair enough. Okay. We're like when you don't want to see the movie, so you just read the Wikipedia synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, but this is sometimes even right, longer way than the longer movie. Than you might as well just watch <laughs> yeah. the movie. Right? Yeah. If that's what you're doing. Sometimes I think you mean oftentimes longer. Right, than often the movie. most times this is longer You've than the movie. You've got long commutes, so you only have time for podcasts and no times for movies. I'm sorry for you then. Um, <laughs> I remember commutes. Rip long commutes. I remember commutes. No. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh yeah, I guess you do remember I commutes. Still you still commute. Yeah. Uh, Fury's scroll dies in the crash while Veers's scroll gets away. Veers takes a recording of her memories, the scroll dropped, and begins looking for the friend from her memories using the Alta Vista search engine. <laughs> <laughs> Fury attends to the autopsy of the dead Kree. He tells S.H.I.E.L.D. director Keller he has a lead on Veers and will be heading after her. So this movie deals just as much with Nick Fury's origin and his, his the beginning of his story just as much as it does Captain Marvel. And Peaches, you've got some feelings about that and more. Uh, yeah, and, and more. I'm going to do a, uh, an interpretive dance at the end of this that only you can all see. <laughs> That's the and more. No, I just like that this is an... Uh, Bailey said this earlier, that this is an origin story that's not just like a white bread origin story. Like, it, it it's an exciting movie, and I like that um, as far as origins go, it's not just for Carol Danvers. It's also an origin story for Nick Fury. And in a way, it kind of completes the puzzle of the Tesseract. So I wouldn't call it a Tesseract origin story, but it kind of 
puts it in the timeline with everything else. Um, but I just, I just like that it, it, as, as Soundlord said earlier, brings Nick Fury into why is he dealing with all this alien weirdness in the first place? Um, what are you doing, Robbie? <laughs> Plugging in my iPad. Keep talking. Oh, okay. No, but I, th- I think it, it does a good job of disguising itself. It never at any, I shouldn't say never. It mostly doesn't feel like an origin story while you're watching it. There are a few moments that are sort of cheesy that sort of have like a breaking the fourth wall moment, like um, near the beginning when Jan Frog and Veers <laughs> are on the train together. He basically mansplains the um, supreme intelligence and like, you know, all of this already. Why are you asking me? Like, that's that's a very fourth wall breaking kind of thing to me. And also her, um, the, the comical jaunt through her memories is kind of in a way a little bit cheesy, but it's not bad because it explains the character. But overall, I don't like, I didn't feel like this story was a rushed origin story. Like I felt Dr. Strange was, I talked about that a lot in that episode. This, this movie still felt like it went at a normal pace. So I like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. Oh, that's a good point. And Here's I, my I, interpretive dance. And I think that's a lot of why they said it where they did, because I think they wanted to have a Nick Fury origin story. So it's like, hey, let's just kill two birds with one stone. And I think that that was neat and a good touch. Um, it's also kind of Ronan's origin story in a little way. Um, mm-hmm. Although I was disappointed. I was really excited when Ronan was going to be in this movie and then ended up disappointed that he's not really in this movie um, because I thought he was great in Guardians and wanted to see more of him. Um I and like then, that the two of them too, Fury and Carol, I like that they become pals. Like they're they're like yeah. they're like chill with each other. Like they they have a um like a handshake by the end of it. Like it's yes. cool. I yeah. love Nick Fury in this movie. It's the most characterization he's ever gotten beyond yep. I'm the boss who says mysterious things sometimes. I'm Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah, and and he he and um uh, Captain Marvel's interactions, I think, are are really fantastic in this. And the main point I want to make after everything Peach just said is that Yon Frog sounds like a Splash Mountain character. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Yon Fox and Yon Bear are causing some commotion downstream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also, this would be at the time to say that they de-aged, and I, and I alluded to this last week in the on our Ant-Man the Wasp episode, but this is when they got to the point where they were so confident with de-aging that they said, all right, the co-star of this movie will be de-aged for the entire film. Yeah. And granted, with uh, both Fury and then and then to a lesser extent Coulson, who, who's not in it as much, but is still in it, and they de-aged Clark Gregg just like they did with Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, they're both actors that have enough of a and just like pretty much everyone they've de-aged, they've got a nice back catalog of film that they have done at various stages throughout their life to use as reference. But I I don't know about any of you. I've seen movies with young Samuel L. Jackson. I was not distracted by the fact mm-hmm. that young Samuel L. Jackson was in this movie. Not at all. Did Although I, I'm glad that you mentioned that I was going to ask this. I'm glad that you mentioned that Clark Gregg also had de-aging because his was so well. I mean, they both were really well done. Yeah. But I couldn't, I don't even know for sure that they de-aged him. I thought maybe they just put a wig on him because he, he looks so close. Yep. Yeah what you'd expect well yeah. and i know and, there were a handful of moments when i was watching it that i was thinking wait this is basically 
90s Samuel L. Jackson. I'm watching a 90s Samuel L. Jackson movie in, in 2019. Yeah. And uh, I... I, I that sort of took me out of the movie, but not much. But it was never because it didn't look right. It was yeah. because I would realize, oh, this looks right, and it shouldn't. Yeah, it's it, it definitely works better than, like, fake Tarkin did in Rogue One, at least for me. I yeah. know a lot of people liked fake Tarkin. I find it a little distracting because if you look too close, it does look like a video game. Oh, I definitely uh, think it looks better. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, young... the. It's just, I think it also helps that Samuel L. Jackson doesn't look as old as he actually is in, in real life, because he's in his 70s, uh, but right. he, do, he doesn't look... Well, and it helps having the actual actor there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, I, 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 I know. was not present. Yeah, I, I, know that Tar- <laughs> I know the Tarkin one is not a, a really fair comparison, because that was them recreating a dead actor. Uh, so that obviously takes a lot more work. You're building up. You have to create like a. It's it's it's. And it's just less weird to think about. To like it doesn't take you out of it that you're thinking like I'm watching a dead actor be recreated yes. in a movie. Yeah, guys, I'm still marveling over the fact that you just said Samuel L. Jackson is 70, and I just confirmed it by looking it up. He is 71 years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. What the shit. <laughs> You're Captain Marveling over it. I am. I'm Marveling over it. Ninner. Barely know her. Back to what Peaches said, real quick before we move on, um, about Fury's friendship with uh, Carol. I agree. I really like their relationship, and I was kind of disappointed, but I understand why. Um, that in Endgame they didn't show them like reconnecting or you know just some like quick moment between the two of them would have been cool but I assume whenever her next movie is or whenever she appears next we'll get that yeah I hope they don't pretend like that relationship never existed you know the way that I felt like the relationship between Nat and Steve was kind of just dropped for Age of Ultron. Like, I hope they don't do that with this relationship and just, like, kind of ignore it. Yeah. It it seems like Fury likes Carol way more than he ever liked Tony, I think. Yes. I mean, he definitely liked Tony and had some kind of, like, paternalistic feelings, I think, to him by the end. But, um, but yeah, like, like, Carol was, like, his partner. Like, it it was almost like a buddy cop movie where one of the cops could blow your head off with their hands. (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I kind of get the sense that like this is where his and, and the movie spells that out. But you also really believe it that he gets this whole obsession that other people don't get with superpowered humans because his first interaction with one was one who was really easy for him to admire. Yeah, and and it, it's implied, and and they said this in interviews and everything. But I think it's kind of implied as well that. And he's working like the desk job in Shield and doing like all the boring stuff in Shield after having had a pretty remarkable career up to that point, as we heard about in like Winter Soldier, some of the things that he did, and that this kind of rekindled his, you know, like the reasons that he got into Shield in the first place, and uh, right, you know, and lays the groundwork also for his his eventual long running partnership with Coulson too. Captain Marvel, how Fury got his groove back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Stop hitting me over the head with the 90s, Eduardo. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, Fury's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Is that your segue? 
<laughs> it is. So when he has a moment alone after Fury leaves, Keller reveals he is Talos. Oh, and apologizes to his fallen comrade. Uh, Veers heads to the bar that showed up in her memories where she places other fate memories and is confronted by Fury. Fury expresses... Fury the person, not anger. Fury expresses... <laughs> I have Fury. <laughs> Fury expresses he didn't previously believe in aliens, but is convinced now. Veers interrogates Fury to determine he isn't a scroll, learning he is in the army, then became a spy then join S.H.I.E.L.D. to investigate future threats to the U.S. Fears request Fury use a security clearance to help her find out about what Lawson. What is the weird fact that she learns? That, that he doesn't he can't like eat. diagonally cut toast. She also learns that about him. Can I also say that it's funny to me that when she does her version of that, she, like, blows up the jukebox with her, with her, uh, you know, her power beam, and then he's like, how is that supposed to help me figure it out? <laughs> right, and she's exactly. like, she's like, scrolls can't do that, and he just has to accept that. Like, <laughs> I guess they don't. Also, I don't want to uh, dwell on this too much, but there is a scene in Age of Ultron where he eats a sandwich that is cut diagonally. Oh no. And that caused a lot of people to think, oh gosh, was Furious scroll all the time? Um, but everyone was like, well... Maybe the no prize is that either it wasn't toast um, or he got over it because sometimes people get over things. Or they're a shape-shifting alien. Those are the only two logical conclusions. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> the two are left waiting after they ask about Lawson. Fury pages asking for backup. Then the two break into the facility and start investigating, meeting the cat Goose on their way. The, <laughs> the two find the two are left waiting nope the two find Lawson's plans The, la, the these both of these notes start off with the two and that's how I got confused oh, my bad. the oh, two okay. find Lawson's plan for the lightspeed engine her riding in Cree and that she died in a crash testing the engine six years ago Veers recognizes herself in a picture before the test flight and regains more memories of Lawson Lawson contacts Yon Frog, who tells her Lawson was an undercover Cree named Marvell, working on a weapon to end the war. Coulson and Keller arrive, but Fury recognizes Keller isn't himself when he refers to Fury as Nicholas. Fury attempts to escape Keller, who attempts to kill him once he realizes Fury is wise, but Fury is rescued by Veers. But I will argue. I disagree because we don't know that he's going to kill Fury. We don't get that chance. That's what the film wants you to think. The film wants you to think that he's trying to subdue him, but you don't think he's going to kill him. Maybe. I don't think Talos would have done that. I don't. Well, at this point, so I don't think, think he would have killed him, but at yeah. this point in the film, watching it fresh, I thought he was going to kill him. You're supposed to think that they're bad. I also yeah. want to throw one more weird thing in really quickly. I really like that they chose to have... Ben Mendelsohn shapeshift into Ben Mendelsohn right. play Fury's yeah. boss. <laughs> Which is funny. And what's funny about how that was handled, and I was just thinking about this as Dorota was talking about it, I remember sitting in the theater and Ben Mendelsohn's there. It's like, oh no, he's a creep because it's the same actor. So obviously he's a yeah. creep. And I think I'm really <laughs> smart. And then literally in that scene, they're not even trying to hide it. It's it, He ends the scene. So they it, it was not some sort of cool reveal, but I agree with yeah. that. It was, it was fun watching Ben Mendelsohn have a couple scenes without makeup. Agreed. The two were cornered by Coulson, who lets them go and lies about seeing them. 
The two escape on an experimental ship with Goose in tow. Fury describes Coulson as a new guy. Guess he doesn't hate me yet. Veer says, give him time. Ronan the Accuser from the Guardians of the Galaxy film contacts Jan Rog and asks for the location of Veers and the Skrulls in order to bomb the planet they're on, but Jan Rog refuses to give up the information. Veers and Fury find the friend from Veers' Air Force memories, Maria Rambeau in Louisiana. Maria's daughter Monica embraces Veers and calls her Aunt Carol. Um, Veers tells Maria about what happened, and Maria tells Veers her memories of the mission she died in. Monica shows them photos of her life spending time with the Rambos. Veers is given the remainder of her dog tag from the crash with only Carol Dan surviving. Now, Carol Danvers up to this point um, hasn't really been explored as a character, but Angela, would you say that throughout this movie, Carol Danvers was a compelling or not compelling character to you, even though I know the answer to this question. What a setup. (laughs) (laughs) What a coincidence you're asking me about this. Um, Yeah, so I really like, just to preface, I really like Brie Larson a lot. She seems like a really cool person, like you want to be friends with her, and I love everything she stands for, and... um, clearly like the empathy that she has as a person and all of that and yet I don't know if it's her acting choices or what it is or if it's the writing I don't know I'm not compelled by Carol Danvers in this movie and I can't really put a finger on why Um, I have like hunches about it Um, in terms of acting choices she just kind of talks like a teenager like very softly not a lot of you know there's nothing like interesting about her talking voice. She kind of sounds like a teenager with like sort of that low talking and like the crunching of her voice like this. And she barely shows any emotion in this movie, yet she spends the whole movie being told by other people, you need to control your emotions. You need to keep your emotions in check. Um, and I'm not saying she needs to smile more, quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> Cause Every woman knows what that feels like to be told, you know, why aren't you smiling or give me a smile or whatever, just like she was told in the parking lot in front of the internet cafe. Um, For me, that was a standout point of the movie, just from just kind of having a personal connection to that moment, unfortunately. I wish I didn't. Um, Bailey, I don't know if you've also run into that. (laughs) But Bailey, um, have you ever been told to smile? Just every day. <laughs> every day of my life. Um, but I guess as someone, for me anyway, that I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. I've been told for I don't know how many years now, 10, 15 years, you know, that I need to get thicker skin and that I can't be so emotional about things like if I want to get ahead and, you know, um, and that's... So that's like the theme with Carol in this movie that I that I like, except I don't love how the character is portrayed. It's just moments that she has in the movie that resonate with me. But like, there's just not a lot that I get from her. There are other characters who you first meet them and you kind of, even though you don't know their story yet, and I know like her whole deal is we don't know her story yet. Like, there are other characters we've met in the MCU that were like, oh, like, you immediately know who they are, and you connect with them. And with her, I just didn't. 
I kind of felt like we've seen this kind of person before. Um, I was watching the Honest trailer for this movie earlier today, and it kind of made me laugh because they they said she's a snarky flying soldier with amnesia on a quest to recover her true identity. A snarky flying soldier without amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Like, that's kind of all I get from it is her. true. You know, like, I feel like they, they were just so determined to have this quote-unquote strong female character, which I'm sick of hearing, um, that the idea of her being strong was just her being stone-faced all the time. And just... Anyway. But the kind of character that she is, I feel like we've sort of seen this before with for any of you guys who have watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Sky slash Daisy, I feel like is kind of a similar character that we've seen before. She's snarky, uh, you know, sarcastic, quippy. She kind of, as the seasons go on, like, starts to learn about her powers and kind of gains more and more confidence. Um, but I just feel like, granted, she had more time to do so, I feel like Sky was kind of done better <laughs> in, in terms of that kind of character. Interesting. But it's just frustrating to me that I feel this way. Like, I, I was hoping when we watched this movie again, because this was, for both of us, only our second time watching it since we saw it in theaters. Same. Um, I, I Same. wanted to connect with her more. I wanted to like her more the second time around. And I just don't connect with her as much as I'd like to. And it's frustrating because I love that the she's like this icon especially for little girls and even little boys you know too like oh gosh yes when we were in disneyland on our honeymoon we actually got in line for the captain marvel meet and greet and we were behind these two little boys yeah they were who like... were so excited to meet her and they kept like i don't know like they kept like looking around the corner waiting to see because yeah. the meet and greet is by her by her airplane the one that says Carol Avenger Danvers. And this little boy just keeps going, Captain Marvel's coming. Captain Marvel's coming. Like, he was so excited to meet they Captain were Marvel. so cute. Hype. Both it of them. so cute. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And they were very <laughs> chit-chatty and all that. And then what was funny was when they actually went up to meet her, I think they were nervous. And they yeah, they got super really... quiet. But anyway, I just, <laughs> I love what she represents for so many people and for little kids. Um, and definitely the moments that she has in this movie that really stick out to me but just overall as a character i don't know if any of you guys agree at all but she just i don't connect with her i have a question about it do you mm -hmm. and and i'm not trying to be a jerk so kick me in the shins if you feel like i am do you feel do you feel like her portrayal of the like quiet unemotional etc throughout most of the movie is a product of Jan Frog and it's and associates um, constantly telling her that she needs to keep her emotions in check and maybe like now that she's kind of gotten to that I don't have anything to prove to you stage you know post this movie do you think that maybe she will not be that way in future films I mean because we've seen her a tiny bit in the in uh, in two other movies but we haven't seen her do anything more than briefly appear, you know? Yeah. I don't know if, if that, if you think it's a product of that or you think that it's, it didn't work either way. It's possible. And, and uh, Maria definitely acts like Brie Larson or, or definitely acts like um, Captain Marvel has some character, but what? 
I think he was asking a specific person a question. Oh, she didn't. <laughs> but feel free to answer that at your leisure, Rob. <laughs> hey, Angela, now what do you think? <laughs> Whoa, what, what does the white no, man no, no, have no. to say? Robbie has to go after me so that he can validate what I said. <laughs> oh, my God. Robbie, this turned into the Robbie roast. I'm so sorry. What's <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, the question? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just, to me, for, for Yon Frog and, and <laughs> Supreme Intelligence and it just seems like many people or maybe the same people just many times telling her throughout the movie you need to control your emotions like you better watch yourself you know keep that in check all that stuff and i just feel like we don't see her emotions come out enough to warrant those comments you know whereas like just to make a comparison and it's weird that i'm making this comparison because of how much i've dunked on his acting but <laughs> Hayden Christensen playing Anakin in uh, the prequels. <laughs> constantly like angry and possessive of, you know, the people he loves and all that stuff. And Obi-Wan and the Jedi are trying to say like, you, you really need to keep those emotions in check, like kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Like you, you can't get, let this, you can't let your love and your anger and all of that get out of hand. Um, but you can see why they're telling him that because of the way that he is. Whereas in this movie, it doesn't make sense to me why they're telling her that when she clearly is not, she's not letting her emotions get away from her. Yeah. The way that you're describing that, it almost feels like they're helicopter parenting. Like they're like reminding her before she even does quote unquote something wrong. Like, Hey, make sure you don't do this. Make sure you don't do that. You're like, mom, I haven't done any of those things yet. What Why I am I in trouble? What I think it could be, and if this is the case, then I think it wasn't necessarily portrayed as clearly as maybe it should have been, is I think they're afraid of her a little bit because she is clearly a billion times more powerful than any of them. And that's why they put that inhibitor thing on her. And clearly when she does finally let her emotions flow at the end, she's able to burn that thing right out. But... I think that's not necessarily made clear enough because, and this is where my criticism comes in, is that because Carol Danvers in this movie, or Veers, is a mystery box, uh, and the movie's about figuring out who she is, since they're coming at it from that angle for the audience, they can't establish, oh, she's super powerful until the end. Because that's supposed to be like, oh, she comes into her own with the power. Um and I think that choice is for me because I actually I'm almost the opposite of Angela in this and that I I really like Brie Larson in this movie and how she plays Carol and I'm very excited to see her going forward where the movie is not about I don't know who I am and I think that now that she knows who she is and she's embraced that she's just can kick anyone's ass that I think it could be a lot of fun going forward so I'm I'm excited for that where she was like, I think she's kind of boring. Well, and I don't need her to be like a bundle of emotions. She doesn't need to be an emotional wreck or anything. I just, I felt like she was very monotone. Can I add? 
Yeah. Okay. I I feel like I had the similar uh, complaint as Angela. So Robbie wanted uh, me and Angela to be on this to give some female perspective. But I watched the movie and I was like, I don't think there's anything. There's no like uniquely female themes throughout this movie. Like it just felt very surface level to me. Um, whereas like Black Panther, I feel like was the first, um, it was the first black superhero movie and they really like explore those themes a lot more. And it just felt like they were like, here you go, here's the female superhero you've been asking for. And then that was that they didn't really like take the time to, um, give her like a uniquely female perspective or explore anything besides just, you know, like being told like you need to control your emotions. It just like, it, it felt really generic to me. Um, I think a movie that does this or a character that does this better is I think Ray from star Wars. It's a little similar. Cause she like, you know, she's trying to figure out who her parents are and that whole thing. Um, but they aren't like, um, pitching the movie to you is like, look, it's a female lead. They're just like, this is our new female lead of our new series. I felt like this movie, they just really tried to say like, here's a female lead, um, but there's nothing special about her. Like this is just a regular origin story. This could be um, any superhero's origin story. So I feel like maybe that's why it's just not compelling. Like there's nothing, like she doesn't really have a personality. Her personality is just like, we don't know who she is and she's serious. Yeah, exactly. Like, there, there are movies where you want to stand up and cheer at certain moments because they connect so deeply with you. And that's sort of, there were moments like in Wonder Woman where I felt that way. And in this movie, just not really so much. And that's what I wanted out of it. You know, the way that people felt about Black Panther. I mean, Black Panther made me want to stand up and cheer, <laughs> you know, like, but like, just what you're saying what you're making that comparison i agree like just i feel like this was supposed to be the movie that really connected with all audiences but especially the female audience and instead it just was kind of i left it just feeling like eh, that was fun which is why it's so weird that like i mean the alt-right trolls were upset about the movie before it came out but this wasn't like some like feminist manifesto movie it was just an, <laughs> <laughs> an origin story like i feel like manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there there are like moments in it that allude to it i mean like well we've got the guy telling her smile in the parking lot uh when she starts flashing back and getting some of her memories back we see the guy tell her oh that's why it's called a cockpit you'll never be a pilot blah 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 whatever uh but the very fact that she doesn't have her memories means that this character we never see her deal with actual sexism uh because it seems like the kree don't care because they've got you know, women on their team and like on their their strike teams or whatever. So, so she's not dealing with that. She's just dealing with people telling her, you know, control your emotions, which I guess is a metaphor. Yeah, that's how but, I took it. Yeah, and 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 the and, and we'll talk more about the scene when we get there. I think, but the scene where she finally does just like beat the crap out of Jan Rog in one hit, mm -hmm. and. I mean, that's that's a good moment. And the flashbacks to her standing up, you know, over the years, always getting back up, which I argue should not have been in the trailer and because that would have been a really nice moment to have unspoiled in the theater. Um, oh, I'm glad I didn't watch the trailer then because I agree. Marvel puts too many revealing things in their trailers. <laughs> yeah. 
And is the what? thing is that it's not a plot spoiler or anything, but it's a good moment. You know, that's supposed to be there. I mean, it's not quite Wonder Woman walking across no man's land, but it, it is kind of their big empowerment moment. And it was robbed of a bit of its power because it was in the trailer, in my opinion. But... It felt a tad pandering, though, too, because it sort of had the feel of like what we've already seen with the jackasses standing in a circle, except it's all like a montage of Carol standing up. Yeah. <laughs> Short Carol, slightly taller Carol, adult Carol. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, it might I, take. Oh, go ahead, Robbie. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I that the standing up scene, the scene where it establishes her, um, being told she doesn't belong, being told she can't do it, and refusing to take that. Like to me, that was my Carol moment, and I I don't disagree with anything Angela says about the, um, about her expressing no emotion about the fact that Maria tells us she's this person that we are never shown she is. And, and I agree that there's some problem with that. I just definitely did feel like I got a lot of interesting character motivation from that sequence. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a muff. It's just to me, that was, that wasn't nothing that said, it is still interesting to hear this perspective of Bailey and Angela. Whereas I thought that was really powerful, but that's probably more targeted for um, their experiences. And if it didn't do anything for them, then maybe then it wasn't as successful as I think it was. I, th I think it's ironic that when you had people before the movie come out saying, oh, this movie has a social justice agenda, and we're sitting here going, it, it doesn't, not only does it not hit you over the head with it, we're going to go, maybe if it had hit a little bit harder? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's like, tough. Um, maybe if they hadn't made it as subtextual as they did. Sure. Hmm. I think Bailey and I were discussing this in the car on the way here from Texas Roadhouse, but I don't know why that's a, I don't know why that's a relevant detail. It wasn't it not relevant. <laughs> but we were discussing. I'm glad to know it. We were discussing culture and and what it is to, to 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 be culture. Why Black Panther is so culturally relevant and why this is not. And part of it is because you know um, and. Correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but feminism isn't necessarily a culture. It is uh... no women are half of the population, right? And so <laughs> it, it is much more difficult to sort of hone in on what it is to be a woman than it is to be, you know, this particular type of culture that they're. At some point, you're trying to bring in so many people that you end yeah. up relating to no one. Um, and I think that might be one of the cruxes of this movie. They're trying to be so general with everybody that has, that they're trying to relate to that it ends up that not many people actually end up relating to it, or they feel that it's it's a story that's already been told in some ways, or that these particular plights have already been told. For example, um, we've got the new Lin-Manuel Miranda movie coming out in the Heights, right? Um, and I am both... Um, excited and not excited for that movie for many reasons um i am excited to see more hispanics in the light specifically caribbean hispanics but i am not excited to see a caribbean hispanic from new york movie again because i feel like <laughs> it is just almost what people synonymously think of when they think of caribbeans yep. that are no longer living mm. in the caribbean they think of you know this sort of new york's stereotypical yeah, where's the florida movie well yeah where are the where are the dudes yeah. hanging out in kissimmee you know like <laughs> <laughs> and so while i could i i see what you guys are saying at least i can make that comparison there that while that movie is it's it's going to be really good and i haven't seen in the heights and i've heard the play is actually phenomenal and i'm sure and it just got delayed today and oh perfect sad oh. 
And yeah. I'm sure Lin-Manuel Miranda has taken very good care to make sure all cultures are appropriately expressed there. It still just makes me um, a little tepid because of the source material, because of the story that they're trying to tell. And that's not anybody's fault. It just, for my experience as a Hispanic male who did not grow up in New York, but does <laughs> share that culture, it makes me be like, oh man, like another one of the, like, when is, when is my story going to get told rather than this? Mm -hmm. Interesting. But we also, all like the movie, so yeah. Nobody's saying yet. they don't we like the movie. Spend twenty minutes. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want the alt right trolls to be like, finally, finally, a podcast yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, all the all the alt right trolls are going to be like, y'all, all all six of you have messed up feet. Fix your feet. <laughs> also, I, you know, I think it's interesting going back. To, I know we're still on the subject, and I'm sorry, uh, but they spend the movie telling her to calm down, and she seems calm the whole time. With just a little work, that could have been some interesting social commentary, too, because it doesn't take a woman raising her voice, but like half a tone for people to go, oh, my gosh, she's just screaming all the time. Right. Like, so, isn't it? It's always like, oh, she's getting hysterical. Like if, if a woman looks even a little bit angry, like you see this with politicians all the time. So I think you're right, but I interpreted it completely differently how I took the movie. I mean, this is actually something I was talking to my wife about offline before this is all those control your emotions, blah, blah, blah stuff, to me it felt like a more damning um, a more damning uh, social commentary because she, she already did. People were telling her to control her emotions when she had her emotions completely yeah. under control. And so how I took that as it it stung because you're absolutely right, that's something, or it, or it hit home um, because that's something I have watched girls I know and, and women I know have to deal with is exactly what you just said of even the slightest emotion is control your emotions keep them in check and it's like to me it was biting that this movie had people saying that to someone that also had her emotions in check to me that was even more damning yeah i think and i think it gets back to like my <clears throat> criticism is that i think that gets lost because carol doesn't know who she is until the end of the movie basically yeah, I can, so i can take i can agree with that so I, I feel like there were a lot of things they were trying to do and that one decision made it so that none of those things they wanted to do quite worked as well as it could have, which leaves potentially people wanting more. I don't know if that's the sole reason for it. Cause that, cause um, um, I think that's the big one for me at least. Uh, and I'm sure other people feel differently. Um, I just wanted to be more excited about these characters and I just wasn't like, I'm not jumping up and down to see the next Carol Danvers movie. I wanted to like Maria Rambeau more. I thought she was cool, but like we just didn't get a lot with her. And and we and that Benning barely had anything to do, and she we just didn't really get to know who she was as Marvel. And we the computer thing was weird. Like it just I don't know. Wait, why do you mean we never will? Why did you say that? Oh, for for Maria Rambo because yes, I'd be surprised if they brought her back because it's now thirty years later or whatever. Oh, okay. I oh, thought like I thought like something tragic happened. Oh like, no, yes, yes, scared me. No, no, Lashana Lynch is the actress, right? Yes. Yeah, she's in the next James Bond movie, so okay. So she's still around. It's fine. <laughs> Great. Perfect. No worries. 
So Talos and his group arrive at the home and say they need to talk to Veers. And he has a recording from the crash to play for them. He also expresses fear of Goose, calling it a flurkin. Veers agrees to listen to the recording and has a flashback to flying the experimental ship with Lawson to her laboratory. It's weird that this person is named Lawson, where Brie, La- Brie Larson is playing um, And it Captain was hard Marvel. to type, let me tell you. And is no relation. No relation <laughs> to some person that also has the last name Larson. We won't say who. Spelled differently, and that's not her real last name, actually. Oh, it's not? No. I forget what it really is, but it's not Larson. Interesting. En route, the two are attacked by an unidentified craft. The ship is shot down, and Lawson tells Carol she has to destroy the engine before they get her, and her technology is to end wars. She tells Carol, being the Cree Marvel, and her decision to stop fighting a shameful war and wants to end it. The shadowy figure from the nightmares arrives and shoots Marvel, then is revealed to be Jan Rog. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. It was the frog all along. Yon frog tries to take the energy cores of the engine, but Carol shoots it in the explosion. She absorbs its energy. Minerva arrives, and Yon rog convinces her they need to take Carol back to Hala since she absorbed the core's power. He picks up the, uh, the Veer's portion of her dog tag, giving him a name to call her. Carol Danvers expresses rage over finding out Jan Rog and the Kree have been lying to her the whole time. Does she? Yes. Yeah, she's angry in that scene. <laughs> I think I, I, think I fell asleep during that. I remember her like like getting like sort of upset because she was saying she doesn't know who she is and then you've got the maria rambo like i know who you are nice monologue but i don't remember anything prior to that it passes quickly but like she storms out of the house and is screaming and yelling about being lied to and then then uh then it turns into her talking to uh talos about how he she needs to help him and so it Mm. passes by quickly but she's that is a scene that she expresses emotion at least for a moment <laughs> I know it's Talos, but you wrote Talso. <laughs> Talos tells that nineties show. <laughs> that's fine. At this point, I don't know that it is Talos because I just can't keep all this straight. <laughs> Talos tells Carol the scroll refused Cree rule and had their planet destroyed. They are not terrorists fighting a war, but people fighting for their lives against Ronin's accusers. He says Marvell was developing the engine to help the Kree escape and end the war, that the core still exists, and he needs Carol's help finding it. Maria passionately tells Carol about the person she is, or used to be, and how that person would help. Carol realizes Lawson's lab is in space. The Kree turn the stolen ship into a spacecraft, and Maria agrees to be co-pilot on the mission to find the core. Monica helps Carol change the colors of her suit into the current Captain Marvel costume. Jan Rog reaches Maria's house and kills a Kree pretending to be Carol. Realizing Carol knows the truth, Jan Rog contacts Ronan, telling him to bomb Earth. Carol, Maria, Fury, and Talos head to space and find Marvel's lab, a converted Kree warship kept clocking, kept clocked orbiting Earth. Carol finds cloaked. the... Cl- <laughs> <My> kept <bad. laughs> Cloaked. 
dude, I'm like Charles Barkley, man. I'm gonna read what's on the teleprompter. Like you just gotta. <laughs> Carol finds uh, the core that powers the engine, the Tesseract. Bum bum bum. She picks it up with her bare hands. And was that it. also on the teleprompter? Was. That was on the teleprompter. It was bum bum. Well, there were no bum. directions on how you were supposed to read it. Correct. So. I thought we were just. I thought suddenly we'll on the screen go. there were three butts. I wasn't. <laughs> Baby, move your bum, bum, bum. Let me sing it again. <laughs> uh, she picks it up with her bare hands and places it. And places it in a Fonzie lunchbox. Talos calls out and a group of scrolls, including his own family, come out from hiding. His wife tells him they've been hiding on the lab and Marvell told them not to send any signals. Talos explains that there are thousands across the galaxy hiding, waiting for a new home safe from the Kree. Now, I have a question. Yes, yes. Peaches. Wait, you had a segue. I'm sorry. No, go with your I'll question. I'll shut up. Okay, I'll, I'm just confused about the Tesseract and how in some movies it, like, disintegrates the thing that it's on top of, and in other movies it sits in a Fonzie lunchbox and doesn't <laughs> do anything. What you don't what understand is that the Tesseract was sitting on quantum metal, and quantum <laughs> metal <laughs> doesn't disintegrate. <laughs> Quantum. <laughs> when did it disintegrate something? Was that in, in Captain, Captain America? In Captain America, it goes through the ship. Here's yeah. my no prize. Uh, my my theory is that the reason it burns through the ship is because when the Red Skull held it in his hand, it activated and heated up and then melted through the ship when he dropped it. Oh, that makes sense. So what stops it from activating when anyone else touches it? Well, he he might have tried to actually do something with it. Okay, because I can he buy... Also had just been, well, I can buy Carol holding it because she's got immense power from the Tesseract, like in her body at all times. Yeah. yeah. But also, I assume that's is, how it works. I don't know how it works. Is putting a mysterious glow inside of the lunchbox supposed to be a Pulp Fiction reference? I took it as that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how Samuel I took Jackson it. I've only there. seen the first 20 minutes of Pulp Fiction and I didn't love it. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We tried. We did. We gave it our good, uh, the best effort we could. <laughs> now, twenty minute effort. <clears throat> my nickname in high school. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Super Scroll <laughs> is a <laughs> good god. The Super Scroll <laughs> is a Fantastic Four villain. Yes, and he, uh, the scrolls in popular comic are traditionally villains. Correct. Uh, actually, have they ever been? Not villains. There have been some, but Kanunner Kanunner became not a villain. That's true. We can't forget about Kanunner. <laughs> um so it was quite a surprise in this one, Chris, when it turned out that the scrolls were actually just some innocent bystanders trying to live their lives. Yeah. It was uh they'd been even in the marketing and everything been playing up Oh, the scrolls, the scrolls, and I remember it was even a surprise that Marvel could make a movie with the scrolls. Yeah, that was my was... reaction. I thought Marvel couldn't do the scrolls. Yeah, um, but it was one of those things where Fox had the rights to specific scroll characters, like Super Scroll, but Marvel Studios could still use the race of the scrolls, 
Uh, mm-hmm. Just like with the Watchers, uh, they had that cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy. They could use the Watchers, they just couldn't say Watu. Copyright uh, so law is would... a disaster. I just want to say right? on the record. <laughs> <laughs> so did they have a did they have a copy mark or a trade right? I don't remember. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just cringe so hard. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I it's the one with the little R with the circle. <laughs> ah. Tiny TM. But yeah, I, I, like everyone else, I expect them to be the bad guys because they're like, oh, Captain Marvel's going to fight the Skrulls. And technically she did for like a couple scenes. Tiny TM uh, from also... A Christmas Carol? Yeah. <laughs> God bless us, everyone! We've made Eduardo cry a record amount of times on this episode. To be fair, I made myself cry that time. <laughs> we, the royal we. Yeah. The collective of this podcast. The collective we. As I was saying, <laughs> I assume they're going to be bad guys, not just because the scrolls are usually used as, enemy, as villains in the comics, but also because Ben Mendelsohn was playing one, and he's almost always a bad guy. He's very good at it. Uh, now, I did wonder how the Kree would be portrayed as well, because I knew this was going to deal with the kree scroll war. I was like, well, the Kree have never been good guys in the Marvel movies, and and on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Kree were around a lot as well. Uh, and I did want to say that, incidentally, the visual design of Hala is intentionally similar to a secret Kree city that they found in Season 2 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So every once in a while, they do pay attention to the TV shows and the movies. It's, it's rare, but it does happen. Um, but yeah, the, the, the twist did genuinely surprise me, and I thought it was it was a nice upending of, of expectations. Uh, it, it turned it turned the movie from you know just Captain Marvel fights bad guys into a story about how families and refugees are the real victims of of endless war. It's like, oh wow, hey, there's another message that I was not expecting to get in this movie. They don't delve into it too deeply but it does end up becoming the motivation for from that reveal on that's now the motivation is these people are just victims they don't want like and talus even says that he made mistakes and that that he had done things in this in this war that he wasn't proud of but now he just wants to find a safe place for his family uh also uh, Talos sipping soda through a straw is the best incongruous uh, Marvel imagery since Vision put on a sweater. I love that <laughs> when he walks in and he takes a sip from the soda. Uh, and that whole exchange uh, when he's like, he's like, oh, you're somewhere you shouldn't be. And Maria says, I'm going to put my foot somewhere it's not supposed to be. And he's like, am I supposed to guess? And everyone goes, your ass. <laughs> yeah, th- that exact <laughs> moment, I think, is when the movie really ramps up because when Mendelssohn stops being a shifty, maybe he's a bad guy, The, I think the movie is getting more thrilling and also more funny. Yes, like it becomes, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, he's not just a, uh, like you said, a shifty bad guy. Now he's, you get, you get to see the character to it and he's kind of funny and, and it's it's it becomes a lot of fun there. And I have a what might be a hot take. I know that a lot of people were hoping going into this movie that it was going to be setting up Secret Invasion as like the next big storyline, the next big crossover storyline. 
uh, Secret Invasion from the comics is when it turns out, oh, hey, turns out a lot of the superheroes have been scrolls all along and they've been infiltrating all levels of government for a secret invasion of Earth. Uh, I actually kind of hate how the scrolls are used in the comics a lot of the time where you need to retcon something. Oh, never mind. It was a scroll in disguise. Uh, so I'm not saying that secret invasion will never happen in the movies, but I am glad that at least right now that does not seem to be the direction they're going in since most of the scrolls we've seen have been good guys. Well, to add to that real quick, because I just wanted to throw this in because of the way that we use scrolls in this movie, I'm curious if we do use them in any sort of negative capacity going forward. I mean, you can have good sides and bad sides of that race and that's fine. Yeah. Um, But it's, really the only time that we've seen in the MCU any talk of scrolls uh, is in this movie. So I, I'm just curious. I I, I wonder yeah. what it will be. Is the it... scroll empire could still have evil designs of conquest. Right. Sure. Uh, we don't really know the details of the Kree scroll war, how it started, what it, they say that, Oh, the scrolls were resisting the expansion of the Kree empire. Uh, but we don't know, you know, any of the details. Uh, and Kevin Feige said, well, scrolls are just like any, any species. There are some good ones and some bad ones. We just happen to be focusing on good ones right now in right. these movies. And he, he didn't rule out the fact that we might see bad scrolls in the future. Um, but I've just found, you know, in the comic books where they decide to undo a year of storytelling because people didn't like it. Or because they just want to upend something and like, oh, no, actually, Captain America was a scroll. I, I guess I, we don't know yet that that won't happen in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm with Chris. I don't want it. That's I'm with him on that's one of the things I hate. What if what if Black Widow didn't die? It was a scroll Black Widow. OK. Yeah, exactly. Like like that would suck. <laughs> yeah. I would not like that. Uh... No, I agree with that. Um, my and my takeaway was I was really excited that the scrolls were in the movie. Go ahead, keep going. She had raised her hand, but you know. It's oh, a podcast, I can't see. So. I can't see that. You guys are divided into narrow. Oh, yes, I cannot see. Oh, I forgot you used two devices to do. Unless this. your face is completely centered, I can see nothing. Oh. Go on. No, you. Yeah. No, continue what you were saying. No, no, no. go ahead, Angela. No, I was going to ask about the, something about the Kree. So if you're saying a scroll thing. Oh, I was just saying I was excited they were in the movie. Oh, okay. Um, just as someone who's not familiar with the comics, I felt like it was kind of confused. We were talking about the good and the bad side of, you know, certain species in the Marvel universe. And I felt like how the Kree were portrayed is just kind of confusing for what I at least knew previously from watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but then also from Ronan and what he did in the Guardians movie, and then just how they were portrayed here. Like, it just didn't... The dots didn't connect for me very well. I just felt like it was kind of confusing. Like, I wish there was a little more of a through line of who the Kree are. I mean, again, I mean, obviously, yeah, there can be good and bad within the the species but was anyone else confused by that i guess i didn't uh, think about it much 
I was also confused. I mean, I don't have anything to add. I think that's another issue with this movie is it's just, we talked about that at the beginning. It's just very, very sci-fi, like, and it's weirder, like, listening to Eduardo read all the notes, like, without seeing the movie itself and him just reading the plot of the movie. It doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like Star Trek. Like, that's how sci-fi it is. But. Yeah. So, I guess, what was, what, where's the confusion come from? Because, like, you know, you've got, in Guardians, we know that the Kree have recently signed a treaty with Xandar, like, basically to continue peaceful, like, to, right, have peaceful relations between, um, Ronan's pissed about it because he hates Xandar, so he breaks away with his accusers. Right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And this is a movie that revealed that Accuser is actually like a class of like yeah. warriors. Or something. And then you've got the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Kree, which are, they're all blue guys. And they've got like their own agenda, but they're also bad. And then you've got these Kree in this movie who like some of them are blue, some of them aren't. And I can answer that. They're one. kind of good, or at least we think they are. But they have a yet they have a connection to Ronan. Granted, I'm, I know that's before Ronan breaks away. Well, I guess I didn't take them, so I have no real memory of Kree from Agents of Shield. So, um, but I didn't take them as good in this movie. I took them as bad. But you're meant to take them as good in the beginning, because you assume like, oh, well, Carol's with them, so they're they're good mm-hmm. good guys, and the scrolls are bad. Hmm. I guess you're meant to think that. And for me, as someone who's only seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Guardians, that was confusing to me that, okay, these are also Kree, but they're not nothing like the other two versions of Kree people I've seen before. As far... Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I know that at least from the comics, on Hala, there are two races of Kree. There are the blue ones and then the not blue ones, the ones that look like regular humans. Yes. And Marvel was like a regular human looking. So was Yonrog, yeah. But and I so, also yeah. feel but just talking about the movies though, for people who haven't seen the I actually read the comics. Yeah. I, I actually did like, think No go. I, I just feel like it's a little bit if you're gonna establish Ronan and and his followers and if you're going to establish Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., granted, I know that was Marvel Entertainment, not Marvel Studios, not that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to establish these two <clears throat> Kree groups, don't you think there's like a little bit of um, onus on the next iteration of Kree to at least sort of show a connection there or explain it a little bit? Well, because this, for me, I think that this, is, this movie is the first time we're seeing the actual... Kree Empire because when we see Ronan in Guardians which again is set however many years after this movie he is now broken off from the Empire officially to become a terrorist because he's a zealot who does not like what the Empire is doing so the only thing we see the actual Kree Empire is the guy telling Glenn Close hey this is your problem now we signed a treaty goodbye and then On uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Kree that we see there aren't really connected with the Empire itself either, I don't think. Uh, 
you get like a couple random ones that show up throughout the uh the series and then the there's the one season where they go to the future and are on a space station with a Kree, but it's just like this kind of rich Kree that's kind of gone off on his own thing. And he's not necessarily connected to the Kree empire itself either. I don't think so. So this is like the only real look we've gotten at Kree society itself. And we don't go deep enough into it for it to make sense altogether. I think. Yeah, my interpretation was just they're a, a colonial empire. They're not necessarily good, but they're not out like as mustache twirling supervillains to destroy the world. Um, and that I and then because it served their interests to form peace with Xandar, Ronan became a mustache twirling supervillain in Guardians. Um, so here, a couple decades prior, I just take it as he is a loyal part of the Kree Empire because right now it's he's agreeing with the path they're on that said what i completely agree with is i do think the movies should have taken a line somewhere to explain the blue cree and pink cree thing which i believe was their actual term in the comics is pink yes. cree. um i i agree with that um that it's weird it's like wait is that person a cree or is that person abducted like carol danvers um yeah so that's 100% something I agree with. Yes, it has its basis in the source material, but for the audience that's watching it, who doesn't know that, it's it's a line of dialogue somewhere to explain it. Um, so I do agree that that's a piece of confusion. Also, I felt like Ronan seemed a little off in this yes. movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it was still Lee Pace, but it just mm-hmm. sounded like Lee Pace talking. It did Agreed. not sound like his Ronan voice. 100% agreed. I was completely disappointed by Ronan in this. He was still working on his uh, his Batman voice. He, he, you just he didn't get to see his... the clip of him uh, trying all, uh, testing all the different accents and stuff. You know, <laughs> you stand accused. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the other power stones going? <laughs> <laughs> he also didn't put on his scary makeup. <laughs> yeah. He just had a regular old blue face in this, and that's how I found out that Ronan was wearing makeup. In Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> well, don't they put makeup on him? Yeah, he starts. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like a whole scene makeup. of them putting makeup yeah. on him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Continue. Where were we? I like the scrolls <laughs> in the movie. That's where we were. Jan Rog and his crew arrive and corner the group, demanding the death of the scrolls and the Tesseract. When Carol attempts to fight, her neck implant is turned off and she is unable to use her powers. Her neck implant is turned on and she is unable to use her powers. Well, at this point in the movie, they're still acting like the implant gives her her powers, even though she's learning better. Zach, okay. I'm is good, yeah. okay? The phrasing was just funny because <laughs> it sounded it like we good. wanted the Tesseract to die. I was trying... <laughs> To die, Tesseract. In a way where it wouldn't sound like that, but it sounded like that anyway. Yan <laughs> uh, Rog reminds her of the Supreme Intelligence's reminder that what's given can be taken away. Carol is forced to talk to the Supreme Intelligence, again appearing as Lawson, while Nirvana's Come As You Are plays. Carol reasons her powers come from the blast, and the chip is there to restrain her powers, not grant them. The Supreme Intelligence says it's because Carol is not strong enough to control them. 
Supreme Intelligence shows Carol her memories of crashing, falling, and failing since she's only human. Carol, now with her memory restored, remembers all the times she got back up after her falls, stating, My name is Carol Danvers. Uh, stating, My name is Carol, Danvers begins to fight against Supreme Intelligence. She breaks the implant off her neck and starts to destroy the simulated reality. Quote, My whole life I've been fighting with one hand tied behind my back. What happens when I'm finally set free? End quote. Carol breaks away from the Supreme Intelligence and uses a massive photon blast to take out Jan Rog and his group at once, then rushes to rescue Maria and Fury before they can be pushed out of the airlock. Captain Marvel is now officially OP. And Robbie, <laughs> I think your plan to invite people to back you up on your Captain Marvel opinions might have backfired just a little bit, but you can still be excited about a character. How was it my plan? I anyway. was not the one that originally... I was I was happy to have them on here, but it wasn't my oh. plan. I think we can find the messages <laughs> think, where it was your no, plan. No, Chris was the first one that suggested it. I just agreed with him. Was it Chris's oh, plan? Oh, boy. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, Robbie... The segue's ruined. Either way. <laughs> I didn't know what their opinions were. I was just like, hey, we should have them on. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to have them on. I'm happy they're here. Either um, way, talk about how much you like your Danvers. Thanks, Mister. <laughs> Um, so, well, the thing is, I actually, and we talked about a lot of it already, I actually agree with everything Angela said about the characterization of, um, Carol Danvers. I don't think she's actually a super compelling character, and I'm not really excited about the next movie, but her arc in this film I still really love, less because of, you know, the, the writing, because I'm not going to blame, blame Brie Larson for how she played it, um, less because of how the character's written in the film, and more because of how the elements around the character are written in the film. I really buy into um, the movie. And so we talked about talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, how that third act kind of is where the movie fell apart for us. And for me, this movie's the other way around, where I like the first two acts, but the third act is so good. It's one of my favorite third acts in the whole MCU, um, just because so many elements are, are going through. The sequence of Carol realizing her powers and breaking out are just absolutely breathtaking. And she, okay, yeah, she's overpowered. And that's a problem in the mcu but in the context of this film it is really really cool when she realizes who she can be and busts out and starts just laying waste and the end of this film reminds me of um i really like when a video game has a section where you get to experience the character as being overpowered i don't want the whole game to be that but when there's a point in the game where you get to realize what it's like to just want run roughshod over things that sometimes give you trouble i, I think that's fun and this is that's what the end of this movie is it's captain marvel starting to just run roughshod over stuff and it's played very dramatically and i just think it's really fun watching her realize what she can be um and side note also really makes me want to see brie larson play samus aran um, please <laughs> yes please um so and, and 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 actually what i'm thinking of is super metroid where at the end of super metroid you get way overpowered and just get to completely get some juicy payback um and and we already talked about this but the don't use your powers because that's emotional meet me on my level thing in this movie to me resonated with what i have heard never said to me but what i've heard said to women in my life and yes brie larson was not and and um carol Danvers was not showing emotion in this movie but the message there the message of no don't be you 
um, because being you scares me and I need you to be what I need you to be. That was, or, and what I want you to be so I can control you. That to me really, really resonated. And I guess I'm, I'm definitely backing off that feeling a little bit since it didn't with others on this podcast. Um, but to me, it hits me really strong and it's really cathartic watching her break out and, um, literally and physically push that away um all the way up to the final villain confrontation in this movie is Yonrog again echoing that message again saying i'm so proud of you and you know but and finally you know put your emotions aside and don't use your powers and prove you can beat me and she literally just indiana jones him in the face and says i have nothing to prove to you and i just thought that i just think that's fantastic and again I don't actually agree with really a word Angela said um, or Bailey said about their, I wrote Angela in the notes because I had read Angela's notes and so I was prepared, but Bailey agreed with her and I don't agree with, or I don't disagree with their words about the statements and I agree that there's a lot of telling instead of showing, but I still felt the message was important and really powerful even if um, Carol Danvers wasn't showing that she was an emotional person. I thought the criticisms were still biting and it felt like a very strong theme to me. And so this third act where she just busts off the chains imposed her imposed on her by other people um, and starts literally punching spaceships to death is cathartic and cool. And, and I took a lot out of it and it doesn't necessarily make me care about where the movie goes going forward, but it makes this movie um, a big deal to me. Yeah, I uh, I agree. <laughs> um, I, I I do like that scene at the end. Uh, for whatever reason, the the thing I think of in that scene where he's like, "Now prove it! Don't use your powers and beat me up." Uh, it's not a one to one comparison, but it reminded me of like something like, "Oh, you like that band? We'll name three of their albums." Yes, uh, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I think of when I see it. Yeah. You're wearing a Nirvana shirt. Name their their top three singles. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like he's still making her yes prove herself by his rules, and she's like, "I don't need your rules." And she beats him up and then drags him away by his ear, pretty much. And I enjoy that. Yeah, I agree. I and do like when she photon blasts the engine. To make it like we're <laughs> off into space. That's what yeah. That's what I was just reminded of. Yeah. That's a funny. That's like almost cartoonish. And I think we talked about how the Cree don't show any sexism, so it's not so much that he's being sexist. And I I, I agree with that. I, I agree that it's not that Yonrog is literally misogynistic, but I think the um the general theme there is the same. It's the general oh, yeah. theme of um and and there's a catharsis to it that and yes the catharsis is is built up. A bit by it being a woman doing it um but i don't think it's so much that he's being actually sexist but the way he is treating her is the way at least in, in my understanding is sexism treats people and again you, you get that brief flashback of her in the air force and men treating her that way so there is a connection there but yeah <laughs> it, it, it's you maybe it's Maybe some people feel like it hits him over the head. Maybe some people think that it could have been made a bit more explicit, right. but the but the connection is there. Uh, so, and, so I mean, that's that's clearly what they're going for. And there's a sequence of baseball, and and so that probably hit me a little bit differently because I, um, I spend a lot of time with, um, 
progressive baseball fans and a lot of progressive female baseball fans. Um, and so I'm very exposed to the fight over women on baseball fields. Um, and if you don't know that there's a disgusting fight about that, there is. Um, and so that that shot resonated with me. That whole sequence of her standing up is one of the most emotional things to me the MCU has ever done. Um, part, partly just the character. Like, it, it's not just because she's a woman, but I think it's enhanced by it being a gender that does not get the treatment it deserves on screen. Um, mm. And so all the sections and her being told you don't belong out here, her being told she just needs to quit when she's trying to um, climb the ropes. I just, it resonated to me so powerfully and i liked it a lot yeah and, and i guess carol's big defining trait then is that in the face of adversity in the face of being told you can't she never believes it and she gets mm -hmm. up and tries again we don't get that until this moment in the movie and maybe that's really the one of the struggles with her why why her characterization could have been better is because it's saved for big moments when it could have been threaded through the whole thing a little bit more yeah, I'll clearly. Agree with that. You know, to add to that point, Chris, I think um, I've been trying to make comparisons to Black Panther a lot with this movie, and I think there are some pretty easy um, reasons why. Black Panther mm -hmm. is a is a movie that has a lot of cultural significance for a lot of people, and I think some of the intention of this movie was to have a same amount of cultural significance for, for a group of people. Um, and I think the difference between the two movies was that Black Panther, the, the issues and the way it describes its plot and the, the, the issues that are in there and how it deals with its culture is very complex. They're very complex interwoven into the story, into the, into the world. And it's a very, and a lot of times you don't really know who the correct person you should side with is in Black Panther. At least I didn't. There were times where I was like, Killmonger's not that wrong, right? Like, there's there are times where you can kind of make the, the, the assumption there. In this movie, it's very clear-cut and it's very kind of um, out there in the open, right? It's very like the the man tells her not to, to, to calm her emotions and it's very clear the man is wrong and the woman is right and and we need to do it this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't it doesn't challenge your beliefs or your the, your way of thinking. It is just sort of I, I hate to say it, but I, I wanna call it the easy way out. It's sort of the easiest way you can say this is a movie about women by putting in the most I don't know the most obvious thing that a that a woman could could possibly plight with versus something like Black Panther that had very complex themes and really kind of honed in on a very particular set um, and kind of challenged your way of thinking about lots of different issues. So I think that's where I think some people could kind of come into a a crossroads with this movie is they don't see that type of complexity there. Yeah, I'd agree. This movie is not a very deep movie. Like Black Panther definitely has a lot of real thematic depth. And and not to say this movie is completely shallow no. either, but it's it's not on the level of Black Panther when it comes to dealing with heady themes like that. It's still a very entertaining movie. I I really enjoy it. But but yeah, it, it's there's a reason that Black Panther became a cultural phenomenon and Captain Marvel was just a billion dollar movie right <laughs> <laughs> you know you guys and i've heard a lot of that and it probably has to do like regionally and the kind of 
people you're around. I felt not compared to Black Panther, but I have felt like Captain Marvel was a huge cultural success as well. Hmm. But that's probably, I am just very surrounded, particularly by the, I guess, the target demographic of Captain Marvel. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly fair too, because like, I know I was not in Orlando anymore. So I'm, when this movie yes. came out, so I was not I can, seeing, I can I'm tell sure you the women of central Florida, Captain Marvel is a very big deal. Yeah. Do you have anything? Which is not to compare it to Black Panther. I think everything Eduardo already said about Black Panther and why Black Panther hit culturally better was correct. I think I'm going to agree with Eduardo that like, like the third act is very cool and I do enjoy watching it, but it is very surface level because like what has she what has she overcome like being told that she's too emotional and now she can be who she wants to be i just feel like that's probably like the most basic thing you can think of that like a woman has to overcome and like for what it's worth like she is she is a blonde white woman um so her uh issues in life and like the things that like white women have to deal with aren't necessarily the same as what all women have to deal with but like it's just like the most boring thing you could think of that like a woman has to overcome is being told that she's too emotional like it just isn't complex or interesting at all and so it's not as rewarding to see her overcome that in the third act because it's just not that deep of an issue i think i i would be curious to see what angela thinks as well yeah, I, so the only moment that I really, really loved was the I don't have to prove anything to you line. Um, that was a big deal, and I'm glad they did that. Um, because of my own experiences and of, you know, feeling like I have to behave a certain way and present a certain side of myself or maybe not even of myself in order to succeed and play by other people's rules and all that. But, oh, and also the way he was talking to her was very patronizing and, mm -hmm. you know, the way that a lot of men talk to women. Um, but I just, the montage just felt so basic to me. Like, like here's the big reveal. She got up every time, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, that just wasn't, I mean, maybe because we kind of already knew that about her without them outright saying it, but, like, we already knew that she, you know, she falls down and then she gets back up, and, and that's cool and all, but, like, that's the big reveal, that's the big character moment. I mean, it's just, how many times has that been done before with any character, not just, a, not female character, but any main hero in a film? So it just didn't, there was just nothing special about this that stuck out to me. Yeah, and it's like, it was cool to see, definitely, but like at this stage of the MCU, I think we're expecting just more or something different and like the mm -hmm. way that it was advertised. I just, I really went in expecting like a fun feminist movie and I got just like an origin story. Yeah, and if this had come out before Wonder Woman, if this had come out, probably 10 years ago or something like that. I think it would have been a much bigger deal. Um, but they've really, they've kept raising the bar for themselves, which is awesome. It's awesome that we expect that much from them now. Um, but this just didn't, 
it, it's not a movie that I want to rewatch lots. You know? Yeah, I think the first it's time been... I watched it, I was more emotionally impacted. But rewatching, I'm like, it's fine. Like, I, I don't have yeah. any desire. Like, I think this is a good movie to have on in the background, but I don't want to sit down and watch it again. <laughs> and it's great for little kids. Like, I'm glad that little kids are seeing this and they're seeing that theme of, you know, you fall down, you get back up again. You know, I mean, that's always a great theme for little kids to learn, boys and girls and everything. Um, but I think these movies have gotten to a level where they need to be more than that. Yeah, and I think Bailey brings up a really good point about advertising and expectation. This movie, I think in a lot of ways, was, for better or for worse, advertised as a real sort of feminist-type movie that was getting, you know, is is finally the one for women, right? Like, it was supposed to be this sort of this big, you know, you know, it was, you know, finally, you know? And so, depending on what you were expecting coming into the movie could change how you felt coming out of the movie. Right? Like maybe you didn't have expectations because you were just looking for another superhero movie. And so by the end of it, you were like, oh, this is a great superhero movie because I don't have any expectations for it to be also a movie dealing with feminist issues or any of these other things. Or it could be the exact opposite. You could go in thinking, I really want these to tackle these hard issues. And you leave going, this didn't do what, for me, what I wanted it to. I think Marvel has been failing at this because they're trying too hard. Yeah. Like, just like the pandering scene in Endgame, you know. Um, we'll go in there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say it for this episode. I know we're not there yet, but... <laughs> but that scene in Endgame with all the, the women and, and, like, kind of kind of like what Bailey just said about the first watch of, um, of this movie, when I first saw Endgame and first saw that scene, I was like, yeah! And then I thought more about it. I was like, ooh. And now when I see it, it's just, it does make me cringe a little. And, um, but I feel like Marvel's done so much better with feminism and female characters when they're not trying. Yeah. Like, I, I got a lot more out of Black Panther, out of um, Shuri and the Queen and Peggy. Okoye and Peggy. Oh my god. Yeah. Peggy Carter. Um and and Natasha, you know, like when they're not trying so hard, when it's not their main focus of we have to do a girl movie, like they do a lot better, I think. Natasha with an asterisk on the whole uh her Natasha. main point of uh Ultron is <laughs> to be with Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, as long as we forget yeah. Ultron. As long as we're we good. forget about that part. <laughs> Well, we took Robbie's good points and ran him into the ground. You're welcome, Robbie. <laughs> I was prepared for it. <laughs> uh, so at this point, Carol gives Fury the Tesseract and tells Maria and him to rescue the scrolls while she buys them time. Goose launches a series of tentacles from his mouth and eats a Tesseract. Fury tells Goose, I'm trusting you not to eat me. With a needle drop of no doubts, I'm just a girl playing. Carol easily beats up Yon-Rog's crew, while Talos impersonates a Kree and helps Fury, Maria, and the Scrolls escape on the stolen NASA ship. That's the best scene the whole movie. Quick question. Okay, mm. she may have just answered my question, because I was going to say, <laughs> is I am just a girl forced in pandering in that scene? I mean, it is the probably the most obvious <laughs> 90s song they could have picked, but it is very fun and cool, and it's a good 
song. Interesting. <laughs> it probably would have had I I that was my favorite use of a song in this movie. Um, and when those opening notes started playing in it, like you're kind of like, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. so that, that was unavoidable. Like that was, that was really good. Um, I think it just, it's too bad that we've seen this before. Like this, the same way they've done it with guardians where an epic battle is about to start and they start playing this song that everyone loves. You know? Yeah. I do wonder if it was the first time in fresh, if I would feel differently about it. Yeah. See, I like this scene because, well, because I think the song choice is a lot of fun. Uh, but also, it looks like Carol is having fun beating up these people that kind of hated her. Yes. yes. Uh, like when she says when she says that line to was it Minerva? Minerva. Minerva. She goes, "Is this why we never hung out?" And she goes, "No, I just didn't like you." <laughs> and um, then she knocks her senseless. Yeah, and, and it looks like she's like enjoying being let loose and being free and being able yeah. to fully exercise her true powers and that's what i'm looking forward to going forward uh, i said this last week when we were talking about um or, or i forget what episode it was we were talking it was infinity war episode uh where i said that carol reminds me a little bit of tony in that she's cocky but she's a different kind of cocky tony's ego or whatever comes from the fact that he is smart and then he kind of uses his cockiness to defuse situations or make it feel like he's under control. Whereas Carol is just, she's a pilot and she's super powerful and she knows she can beat you and she's going to have fun doing it. And I, I like that, you know, so she doesn't feel like a Tony Stark clone just because she's another snarky superhero. She's, uh, you know, she has kind of her own spin to it. And I'm looking again, just... I want to see more of that, and I guess we have to wait because she was barely in Endgame and didn't know who she was through most of this movie. So, so once Yon Rog realizes Carol doesn't have the Tesseract, he and Minerva take dropships out to pursue the escapees. Carol attempts to attack Yon Rog, then falls from the ship. Just before crashing to Earth, she realizes she can also fly now. Minerva pursues Maria through a canyon, but Maria outmaneuvers her and shoots her down. Jan Rog catches up to them, but is then knocked from the sky by Carol. Ronan arrives and starts to bomb the planet, but Carol is able to reverse the warheads into themselves, then leaves the atmosphere and effortlessly de uh, dominates Ronan's fighters. Carol punches a Kree warship to death with, his, with her bare hands, then threatens <laughs> Ronan, who retreats but promises to come back to collect her. Carol returns to confront Jan Rog, who expresses that he's proud of her and demands she prove she can keep her emotions under control and finally beat him without resorting to her powers. Carol reenacts Indiana Jones versus Sword Guy and effortlessly blasts Jan Rog into a hillside, saying, I have nothing to prove to you. Carol sends Jan Rog back to Hala, telling him to tell the Supreme Intelligence she's coming to end the war. Fury gets swatted in the eye by Goose much to the dismay of Talos. We then get into the aftermath. Carol vows to keep the Kree, uh, to help the Kree find a new planet, and Maria considers help an offer. Help the scrolls. To help the scrolls find There's a new too many planet. Weird names in this. And Maria considers an offer to join S.H.I.E.L.D. My bad. Uh, Carol gives Siri a modified pager, allowing him to Earth only in a real emergency, allowing him to page her only in a real emergency. With the scrolls piloting Marvel's lab, Carol leads the way in search of a new home. 
Coulson meets with Fury, who is now wearing an eye patch and eating a glass eye following the Flurkin wound. Fury tells Coulson they need to find more people like Captain Marvel who can fend the world now that they know bigger threats are out there. Fury begins typing the Protector initiative while looking through Carol's file. He sees her call sign as a pilot was Avenger and changes the name of the initiative. I love that music cue. Yes. Yes. Despite the fact that it's an unrecognizable song because we haven't had a recognizable action movie song in a couple decades. <laughs> Robbie, I'm curious how you felt about that because of because you, you've mentioned on several of these podcasts how um, how criminally the MCU has been about um, not introducing Wasp sooner, and how mm-hmm. she was a founding Avengers member, and how she came up with the name Avengers, and now it's spun in the mcu as nick fury looking at a picture of carol's plane and taking the the, drawing the inspiration from there does that bother you at all it that specifically doesn't bother me the general wasps should have been in the mcu sooner and should have had been an important avenger that does bother me but that specific scene doesn't yes it's part of the bigger issue that bothers me but that scene in a vacuum is actually done very well and i like it Okay, yeah, I, think I thought the, of you immediately seeing it, so... I think for curious. the world that is set up now, yeah. where the Avengers are an idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. had, or specifically Fury, the fact that it would be inspired by Captain Marvel and that he would name it after her, I think that works really well. Yeah, yeah. I, thought it was I agree. Really they don't show line. what he types, though, so I like looked at Eduardo and was like, what if he types the Carol initiative? <laughs> <laughs> and like, it got denied like three times. <laughs> I get why she wouldn't know how to type in the internet cafe, but dude, he should know how to type. No, he's too old. No, no, no. He's too old to know how to type. No, no, he's not. He did everything by hand because he didn't bother with typewriters. Uh, I know so many people that can't type. Eye. Anyway, the Carol Initiative. (laughs) Now, Bailey, as far as the placement of this movie in the MCU, can you please tell us about your plight that I'm going to immediately agree with? Spoiler alert. Okay, so (laughs) I already complained that I felt like this was a letdown uh, because I went in expecting a fun feminist romp and I got just... Uh, a plain old uh, origin story. So I was disappointed about that. Um, But I feel like they set this up. It it came out, what, two months before Endgame did? Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone was really hyped for Captain Marvel. I feel like that's all we talked about up until Endgame came out because we were like, oh, this is the solution to everything in Endgame because uh, Carol is so powerful. And I get why she was barely in Endgame because it would have been like a 20-minute movie if (laughs) if it was just her coming in and saving the day basically um but it was just really disappointing to be on the captain marvel hype train and then going into endgame and seeing her in like two scenes total and i think it would have been a lot more compelling and a lot more interesting of a story is um if we got her in endgame and then this movie came out after like if people didn't know that much about captain marvel And we're like, oh, there's a new powerful superhero. And then the movie came out after and we got to kind of figure out like what her story was. Kind of like how in 
Civil War, Spider-Man is in the movie for like five minutes um, and then we get his movie afterwards. Um, and I do recognize that it would be more difficult because everyone knows who Spider-Man is, but Captain Marvel doesn't have kind of like the same name recognition. So it's in the new Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Um, but I just think it would have been a more interesting movie um, if it came out afterwards. So... I agree. Yeah, they could have done the they could have done that or the Black Panther treatment. Like he showed up for just a small portion of Civil War too, um, and you got a you got enough. I mean, we argued about that, but you you got a little bit of his character there, which was then, yeah. um, you know, expanded upon. So, um, I'm gonna kind of disagree. I feel like that would have hurt Endgame because there was so much that had to happen in Endgame. I think also introducing a new major hero in Endgame would have been too much for that movie. Um, But what I will say is that Captain Marvel was filmed after Endgame. They filmed Endgame first and then they did Captain Marvel. So her character wasn't quite set when when they made Endgame. So Which is why there's kind movie. of like weird continuity. Like she seems a little different in yes. Endgame than she does. In... And her hair yeah. and everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, not that people don't change their hair. Um, Rocket even mentions it. <laughs> but it's like Endgame, drastically but... different. Yeah. Granted, it's also been 15 years. Yeah. Least, too, but... Well, it was also, they... 20 years. They, oh my they God. did it to match the comic though, right? Because like it's, because her hair is short in the comic, but it didn't used to be. Yeah. Um, I also did like the unrelated, but I like that they use the mohawk design. Yes, from in, in this. Um, I do agree with Bailey that I think. So I like this movie now more now than I did when I first saw it. Um, this being a retrospective about the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe, my retrospective opinion is I like this movie more now. When I first saw it, I actually did not like. You guys were talking about the advertising, didn't pay attention to it at all because all I cared about was Endgame, and I went to see this. And was mostly distracted by all I can think about is Endgame. So I do think being between Infinity Wars and Endgame hurt it. Bailey's completely correct. Um, it's just I think the solution would have it before Infinity War, which was, of course, as we already talked about, the original intention. And I think pushing it back was a mistake. And if they couldn't, if they had to push it back, then I do agree with Bailey. I think it probably should have come after Endgame. Um, not to disregard what Chris said, because I don't think it's a bad point, but. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Putting it before Infinity War then also would have had Fury paging her at the end of the credits would have meant something. Yeah, it would have been more, more impactful, people. I yeah. think. Yep. It would have been like, oh, crap, yep. Carol's Yeah, coming. but then you would have had the exact same feeling when you got to Endgame and she was in there for three minutes. If you're excited about this character and you go, oh, Captain Marvel's coming, and then you get to Endgame and you get to the same. In fact, it's probably even more of a sinking feeling because you got even more excited about Captain Marvel yeah. to then be disappointed. I don't with her think so because this was like directly well, before Endgame, and all people could talk about was Captain Marvel and yes. how much she was going to be uh-huh. in Endgame, and then she's in like five yeah. minutes in the beginning and like ten minutes at the end. She leads the the female charge. Well, in the alternate universe where they make Captain Marvel the movie earlier, she probably is in Endgame more, too. Yeah. If, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on something. (laughs) If Captain Marvel was filmed after Endgame, and in Endgame they had her with the short hair, why wasn't the post-credit scene of Captain Marvel featuring Carol with short hair? Because she didn't have the short hair at the beginning of the movie. She had the short hair after the five years of the blip. 
Okay, that's yeah. what I totally yes. forgot about. Thank yeah. you. Like how Black oh, Widow you know, the blip. Has, like, the really... blip. <laughs> you know, the whole point of the whole movie. <laughs> it's like how right. Black yeah. Widow just has like a bad like die job and after the blip. <laughs> also, Chris, yeah. I have the Spencer Hall tweet up. Um, oh, yeah. No, wait, I don't. Never mind. Keep. Okay. Ignore me. I didn't no one it. else was talking. It... <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right, Eduardo. I just. I think we should have just done what Kevin Feige wanted to do, but I guess he would have done it if he could have done that. Yeah. We would have had Wasp in the first Avengers if we did that, so. Yeah. And I think, I think we talk- once again, blame Perlmutter. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I think we doubt. talked about on the Ultron episode, and I agree it would be one too many characters in Ultron, but in the Ultron episode, they went as far as shooting scenes made for Captain Marvel, and I think they gave them to they gave Scarlet Witch. Vision in those spots? Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was supposed to join the new Avengers at the end. Yeah. Yes. Which is fascinating. So then we get the the credit scenes, the mid-credit scene, the Avengers who survived the snap stare at Nick Fury's pager, which has just stopped working. As Natasha Romanoff says she wants to figure out who the signal was going to, Captain Marvel arrives asking, where's Fury? Fun fact, they filmed that scene in front of a blue screen and she had no idea who she was talking to or what the context of that question was <laughs> interesting I didn't because realize that. marvel secrets <laughs> um and then the, the post credit scene goose hacks up a tesseract on nick fury's desk <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we mention and- by the way i, I can't remember it's, we've it's been a long episode as they all are now um do we, we the fact the that, the, that the project that Marvel was working on was Project Pegasus, which is from Avengers. No, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, uh, it's just I just feel like watching this again and knowing that the Tesseract ends up being the MacGuffin yet again, it should have been obvious because all of her powers are glowy blue things and Project Pegasus involved. I feel dumb for not realizing that the Tesseract was going to show up. Yeah, and I was actually excited. Like there, that was a cool moment to me. Like, oh, it's the Tesseract again. Yeah, like, I like that. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> So, but to be fair to yourself, though, like you hadn't done this retrospective and probably without rewatching it and looking at the finer, finer details might not have remembered the whole Pegasus arc. Yeah. So let's get into our MVPs of the movie. Angela, we will start with you. Who is your MVP for Captain Marvel? I put Fury. Um, It was hard for me to choose because I was not particularly wowed by anyone in this movie. Um, There was no one that, like, super stuck out to me that I thought was, you know, wow, this movie couldn't have been what it was without this person. Um, But I enjoyed his his story and that we got to know more about him, you know, and it was a different side of Fury than what we've seen before. And, you know, how he becomes a softie when it comes to the cat. Um, That was great. And, uh, but yeah, I, I put Carol as like an honorable mention just because of like the two moments she has in this movie that are really good that I really enjoy. Um, mostly the, I have nothing to prove to you. Um, but yeah, I chose Fury. Robbie, what about you? Yeah, it's very interesting because mine is sort of the inverse, but the same as Angela, where my MVP are Maria and Carol, but less less the actual character and more what they represent. And the thing that I like about the movie is their theme 
Um, and is there the theme of them being strong and of them, the theme of them not allowing limits to be set for them? Um, and it's not about the characters themselves, but about the theme they bring to the film. Um, but like Angela, despite the fact that I like this movie a lot, I'm not necessarily wowed by any character. If there is a character that wows me, it's Nick Fury and, and also the amazing aging technology. Um, but Nick Fury is really fun. He's the most fun character. Uh, Chris, what did you like? I said Nicholas J. Fury. Well, no one calls him Nick. No one calls him Nicholas. Everyone calls him Fury. His kids will call him Fury. <laughs> uh, I, I, like Angela said, it, it was fun seeing a different side to him. I love him, how he just turns to mush whenever the cat is around. Or excuse me, the flurkin. Um, <laughs> I also really enjoy the running gag of bad things keep happening to his eye. <laughs> uh, throughout. How's your eye? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Um, has anyone read Marvel 1602? No. It's uh, it's an alternate universe Marvel comic written by Neil Gaiman that is set in an alternate Marvel universe in the 1600s. And it, all these characters exist in 1602. So, like, um, mutants are called witch breeds, and Magneto is a bad witch breed, but... but uh, Charles Xavier is like a priest who has a has a school for them, and uh, all these different characters go in and out. Uh, but one of the characters is Peter Parquois, and the running gag is that he keeps almost getting bitten by a spider, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, it's gonna happen!" Oh, it didn't happen, and that's what I wanted out of this movie, and that's what I got <laughs> is things keep almost happening to Nick, and then at the very end, um, and. Also, I remember joking beforehand. It was like, oh, watch, the cat's going to scratch his eye out. And then when it actually, when as soon as he picked it up and said, I'm trusting you not to eat me. I'm like, okay, right. that's it. Because the last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. Thank you for calling that back. I was hoping someone would do that here. Yeah. The Marvel so, callback. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure some people were probably dissatisfied with that being the, nope. the reason he has trust issues. But I found it amusing. I think for me... I'm going to put MVP uh, Talos. I really like Talos in this movie. I like mm. the sort of duality. I like the play on his character of you don't know whether he's a villain or he's um, a hero, I guess you could say. Um, and you sort of see his character change. And to be to be fair to the character, everything around the character changes, but the way he plays the character never changes. He always plays the character mm -hmm. exactly the same, and it is just the way the movie frames him to you, whether you view him as a villain or a hero, but the way he is playing Talos is always exactly the same. He never plays him more villainously. You are just led to believe that his actions are villainous. Well, that's a great point. And something I want to say real quick is, you know, that how a good twist is you think back on the earlier scene. And when you rewatch this movie, in that first scene, he's trying to talk to Carol when he gets a chance. And that scene now works when later the twist happens, just like you just right, said. Right, when they, and then like somebody like pulls a gun on her, and she, he like tells him to back yes. off, and he's like trying to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Peaches, what about you? Uh, my joke answer is Goose, but it's not a full 100% joke answer, because he, <laughs> he at least like harbors the Tesseract and safely gets it to uh to earth where we now have it for our future mcu chronological yes movies. he's the frodo of this uh, story so <laughs> <he is> <laughs> <laughs> uh 
but after that, I also I also say Talos. I I, I did write Talos or Carol, but the more we've talked about it, the more I just like Talos yeah. more. <laughs> I, I like I like how he plays he plays a part of the twist that we all like, and and he's a cool character. He's he's got some serious moments. He's got some funny moments. He's just all around brings a lot of uh, a lot of fun to the movie, and um, is a staple in a lot of the stronger plot points of the movie. And you can tell he's having a really fun time playing this character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like Ben Mendelsohn, right. so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. That helps, too. I th- I know I said bad things about Rogue One earlier, so I'm going to say good things. I really like him in Rogue One. I, thought, <laughs> I, I think Krennic is a great character. Yeah, don't say bad things about Rogue One. For another podcast, for us to say bad things about Rogue One. <laughs> <Yeah>. Disagree. Rayleigh? <laughs> I said Carol, but I don't even I don't even really mean it. I just didn't know <laughs> I just didn't know who to pick. I think okay, I'm gonna say Brie Larson specifically. Um because I just think she's a great actress. I think she did the best with what she could with this character. Um she's really great in Scott Pilgrim also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. And also if you've never seen and- Short Term 12, she's really great in that. Like she's actually just, like a really great actress that also is now part of the MCU and uh Car- I liked her on Community. Yeah. <laughs> For like three episodes or whatever. Um I just wanted more from the character Carol, but she is enjoyable to watch. Like her performance is a good performance to watch even if you wish that it was just more. So how do we think this movie fits into the MCU? Well, now that we have the the knowledge that we do, this movie actually sets up quite a lot, right? It sets up um, Carol. It sets up Captain Marvel. It also sets up um, what will eventually be Sword, right? It will eventually kind of set up that whole thing, that the whole end credit scene of Endgame. It, it sure looks uh, of... Far from home. Far from home. Excuse me. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, it it sure looks like it's setting up sword, and especially if the the I, I think I mentioned this last week, um, but with Monica Rambeau being on the show Wandavision, and she's wearing that sword jacket, so yeah, it definitely looks like like there are a lot of things coming out of this movie. That um, I mean, it introduces the scrolls. It deepens a little bit, at least uh, the Cree. It's uh, uh, obviously it introduces Captain Marvel. It, it tells you about where Nick Fury got the idea for the Avengers. It sets up how Nick Fury came to trust Phil Coulson so much for following his gut instead of his orders. And yeah, it, it does really a lot to it. It's not an annoying prequel. Some prequels are really annoying for like filling in gaps. And I feel like this one was like, no, like the, I actually enjoyed seeing you know, some of these answers to questions I didn't necessarily have. It's like, okay, no, but that makes sense. I didn't feel like it was... It wasn't like Solo that answered literally every question. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how Han Solo got his gun. Here's why his name is Solo. Bob Iger says, let's make that movie. If it weren't for the I hate sand scene, that would be the worst scene in a Star Wars movie. And that is a scene that made Bob Iger say, let's make Solo. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I do want to say 
this is going to be my, I'm just going to get my soapbox here real quick. And Robbie, I think you'll probably back me up on this. Do not watch this movie before you watch all the other Marvel movies or excuse me, don't watch Captain America and then Captain Marvel and then Iron Man. That's oh, and the, the chronological order. order. Yeah. When people are like, here's how you're supposed to watch the Marvel no. movies. No. Are people doing that? Oh yeah. That goes around Why? all the time where people are like, here's- you haven't seen it, that. That's constant. On Facebook. Yeah. 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 They say you watch no. Captain America first because it's set in the 1940s, and then you watch Captain Marvel because it's set in the People 90s, and bored, then you watch man. Iron Man. You wouldn't man. hear from her and... for, like, 20 movies. <laughs> uh-huh. And you'd Everyone be like, who the hell are these people things. looking at her beeper? Uh, and why are why are they sad about missing people? Uh, and, yeah, like, prequels are meant to be watched with the knowledge of the movie that they are prequels right. to. Yes. I, I will die on that hill. Same thing with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot would not make sense if you watched this before you watched the other movies. If you want to, I mean, if, if you've already seen all the movies and you want to give it a try, go ahead. I'm not your boss. Uh, you can watch whatever movie you want in any order you want. But it is certainly not the way that you should watch these movies for the first time. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying for the listeners that you are not their boss. All right. Let's South Lord, not a sound king. <laughs> Let's go on to our ratings. Bailey, what are you going to rate Captain Marvel? I'm glad someone fixed this because I was <laughs> I realized just now that I had originally typed 7.590 jams out of 7.5. <laughs> perfect reading. A perfect score. I see that someone five out of seven. <laughs> <laughs> I see that it was changed out of 10, so 7.5 out of 10. So I give it a, a 75% fresh. That is that's good math. Chris, what about you? I gave it uh eight studio logos that made me cry out of 10. I'll give it 7.5 ordinary cats out of 10. I gave it six and a half old lady punches out of ten. Uh, and I gave it seven Nine Inch Nails t-shirts out of ten. And I will be the outlier with 8.5 Game Boy Modified Intergalactic Pagers out of ten. That still blows my mind. Let's go into our rankings, and (laughs) for the last time on this podcast, let's all yell at Robbie. Uh, Robbie, (laughs) we're just gonna cut straight to the chase. Tell us your ranking of Captain Marvel. Uh... (laughs) Uh, my ranking of Captain oh. Marvel is, um, let's see, where did it end up? One, two, three, four, five. It ends up at seven. Um, it's behind the my favorite Marvel movies and with the second tier. Um, so it's That's kind of at the six. top of the tier. So behind behind Guardians of the Galaxy, um, a hair ahead of Black Panther. All right. Well, you knew what you were going to do when you did that. You knew you were going to set me off. You did this on purpose, Robbie. <laughs> you knew what you were doing when you did this. And... You, you know, you you awoken the dragon, and now the dragon's coming for you, man. I don't know why I'm a dragon. Please enjoy the next hour of this podcast. <laughs> you didn't even put it in your rankings. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. I was so upset about Robbie putting it, putting it in front of Black Panther, I blacked out. Uh... He's just going to leave it out of his rankings now. <laughs> Take that, Captain Marvel. It's I'll also show a rare you. time that I diverge greatly from Peaches. We mostly have the same list, but with a couple small differences that's why it blows my mind that you have it so high up there you didn't just divulge greatly from peaches you divulge greatly from rational thinking (laughs) 
okay. Okay, this is already three hours long. Wrap it up. I don't actually have that much to say other than also my nickname in high school. <laughs> three hours. Don't ask me how I got these numbers. <laughs> I actually don't have that much to say. I disagree, but I think that was pretty obvious from the beginning. Where do you put it, though? I would put it probably just above Hulk. Below Volume 2. Oh, wow. Wow. Some some Hulks. Oh, wait, I forgot. He likes Hulk. (laughs) I have Hulk pretty high, comparatively. Yeah. I put it above all the Iron Man movies. I think we all have it in about the middle, except for Robbie. I feel like we should post these somewhere because I'm sure the listeners don't remember every single ranking where we have. We should we should do it when we're fully done with the current films so that we don't like repost it every trip. Would y'all like that? If you tell us at our various uh, communication receptacles. cast at Twitter. <laughs> Email assemblycast at twitter.com or just talk to Twitter. We're cool. With yeah. At Twitter, please tell assembly required. Does anybody feel strongly about their rankings or are we okay with me saying they're all about right in the middle? Actually, for Bailey and Angela. Bailey and Angela share ours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Angela need we haven't been on one. in a couple episodes. Okay, yeah, sure. so mine is Black Panther first, obviously. Um <laughs> Obviously. Then Infinity War, Avengers, Ant-Man, First Avengers, Civil War, Ragnarok, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians, Winter Soldier. I think I might switch Winter Soldier and Guardians, but anyways. Um, and then Captain Marvel and then Ant-Man 2. So I feel like that like line right there of Guardians, Winter Soldier, Captain Marvel, and Ant-Man 2, and Guardians 2, those are all movies that like I feel kind of like I like them, but I feel neutral about, and I'll like half pay attention to but i don't want to sit down and watch um and then nothing else has changed from below that the rest are not good (laughs) i don't know why you hate me what do you mean what do i what do i have in my angela what's your ranking (laughs) well i have the first captain america and black panther neck and neck at the top because i feel like they're both like a perfect superhero movie but like for different reasons um followed by infinity war and then thor ragnarok avengers and those are all kind of neck and neck as well followed by winter soldier then guardians of the galaxy spider-man homecoming ant-man guardians of the galaxy volume 2 civil war ant-man and the wasp iron man then captain marvel and then the rest, Ultron, Thor, Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2, Dark World. Hulk. Oh, wait, you don't have Doctor Strange, right? My mis- oh, I forgot. Where does that, that go? I'd probably... <laughs> I would probably put Doctor Strange <laughs> after Iron Man 2. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. oh, wow. Wow. I liked the ha- wow. as my ranking says the half of Doctor Strange that I watched before falling asleep I enjoyed more than Iron Man two. <laughs> <laughs> How, why didn't you go back to it for the sake of this? I podcast? listened to your guys' episode and I feel like it said all it needed to say about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
You just thought me bitching about uh, overuse of CG was good enough. And the reveal that Danny is Doctor Strange. <laughs> that Danny. Yeah. Without the magic. Yeah. <laughs> or the money. Every time I see Angela's ratings again and I'm reminded that she rated Hulk a three, I'm like shocked again. <laughs> but not in a bad way. I'm just like, oh, she went there. <laughs> yeah, I like Hulk more than a three, but I still kind of enjoy seeing someone give but a you, three. I'm thinking of it comparatively, just like. Oh, I know. You know what I mean? Like when we first started, I probably had Hulk at like a four. <laughs> oh, better. Big change. Not an F minus, just an F. It's funny because when I, I don't know how you guys are doing this, but I found this. I guess we'll just keep this episode going for another ten seconds. Um, I found this like this ranking boobly, boobly. on how you're supposed to rate movies out of 10 and i've been using it every week some article that some rando wrote i don't it doesn't mean anything but this is what i've been using to determine my rankings and a three on this scale is considered quote bad and it says bad but you agree that watching the film was an okay pastime on a lazy weekend evening no not even that on TV. not even that and you were too lazy to dig up anything better okay then two. <laughs> oh no two what, is what? awful Still awful, but at least has one thing that is done well, like one decent scare in an otherwise (laughs) pathetic horror movie, one good laugh in an otherwise decidedly unfunny comedy, one clever plot element, etc. You would never ever want to watch this again, except maybe for that single good part. That's what a two would be on this I like list. that you have a set of rules that you're using to do your rankings. rankings. That's the most peaches thing you know. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Very true. You guys can talk about Hulk. That's okay. I understand <laughs> the the dislike for that movie, but I will still go to bat to say that it is not the worst movie of all time. I agree with you. I just think Angela's rating is hilarious and it gives me entertainment. <laughs> You're welcome. I love how harsh she is. I hope to never watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. Once again, thank you to everybody who continues to tune into this show and for all of the new listeners, welcome. Um, We're going to have some more content for you for the next four weeks and then we'll do whatever you want. We're monkeys. Make us dance. You know, (laughs) if you guys want us to do... All right, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm a monkey. Make me dance. Uh, What do you guys want to listen to? Let us know. Send us an email, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Um, hit us up at AssemblyCast on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. It's going to be at Assembly Required. You could just search Assembly Required. I think it's also, is it, there's no like at on Facebook, right? I don't know Facebook. No, you just search. No, it's Assembly Required and MCU Retrospect. Boom. Um, and that's going to do it for all of us here on the show. For myself, Bailey, Robbie, Chris, Angela, Peaches. You got, what is it? Baileykins. You got Phil Kid 3. Is it you Bailey? got it wrong. It's Braley Kids. I'm sorry. You yeah, put a random Braley R in your name because one time because somebody got it wrong. It's because I don't want to be found by people. But what's your. So shout me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well then, Phil Kid 3 uh, at GatorSax2010, The Lady Sound, and. Uh, D underscore peaches. You can find me at ABCD Eduardo one. And that's going to do it for all of us here. 
We love you, 3000. Quick, Bailey Angela, think of catchphrases. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Excelsior. Hail Hydra. Boobly, boobly. Seen so that coming. Listen, and they're going to send us an email about how we're pronouncing Kinnener. <laughs> I hope so. I hope all the Kinnener stands. <laughs>